I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons, the podcast that makes happy hour bitterly ironic. I'm your host, the humble figurine collector, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons, who is here with me today as always. Hey, it's Henry Gilbert, and uh, I had to limit my pork to six servings a week. <laughs> and who do we have on the line? Possible homosexual, Drew Mackey. And today's episode is Principal Charming. Selma, hello, Stanley. Uh, it's this seat taken. Yes, it is. Hi. Beat it! Today's episode aired on February 14th, 1991, Valentine's Day. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> oh my god! Happy Valentine's Day, 1991, Bobby. The first Pete and Pete special airs on oh. Nickelodeon. Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid begin their decade-long marriage. And The Silence of the Lambs is released in theaters. Wow. So, yes, uh, not a lot to say about Pete and Pete because we did a two-and-a-half-hour podcast for our sister show, What a Cartoon, but an amazing series. It's not just good because you're nostalgic for it. It is actually a very well-done series. Mm -hmm. And Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid, I believe they were broken up by Russell Crowe. Is Mm. that not the the Hollywood goss? I think on the set of a movie? Yeah, it was uh, Proof of Life. I was going to guess Kate and Leopold. That's Hugh Jackman, though. It's a different movie. Never mind. I'll shut up. (laughs) Uh, No, it was the Proof of Life movie that, yeah, that that was apparently her and Russell Crowe got together Uh, on it, and everybody's like, oh, they broke up this Hollywood, Hollywood, the super couple. I I said it before. I'll say it again. They were so happy together. (laughs) Uh, and uh, and then also uh, the Silence of the Lambs would uh, turn well, for with a February release. That is not best picture material back then. No, it, it was a real dark horse winner back then. Yeah. That was a, a photo finish for that movie, uh, beating the first, I believe, the first movie at least for a long time to be in the best picture category, Beauty and the Beast. Oh uh, yeah, that yeah. beat Beauty and the Beast for the Academy Awards of that year. Yeah, the the first animated film to be nominated for best picture. Yeah, I. You know what? I should have looked this up beforehand, but I believe the Meg Ryan, Dennis Quaid child is an actor now. Of course. I think. Let me look this is, it, up. is it the kid in the boys? Is it the boy in the boys? I think it is the boy in it's the, the boys. the titular boy. Let's see here. If it's that actor, he's also going to be in that new Scream movie that's coming out in the not too distant future, especially when this actually releases. And he has, you know, sort of a villain face. So when I heard he was cast, I'm like, he's the killer. He, he has to be the killer. Yeah. Uh, yes, that is Jack Quaid we're thinking of here. Yes. Uh, he's, I, you look at him like it's, he's got a real, just like how when you look at Skeet Ulrich <laughs> and you're like, oh, that was definitely the villain of the first Scream. You're like, oh yeah, this guy's the villain of the new he's Scream. He's got a real pre-Nicholson look to him. Yeah, <laughs> called mur- Murder Face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that wedding on that day uh, when this episode aired, it would it would lead to the creation of Jack Quaid. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that Pete and Pete, it was a Valentine's Day special. In in my memory, it's the Tasty Freeze episode uh, that was the first like full-length episode, but I was yeah. it was the Valentine's Day. Why, they yeah. made a series of specials before Nickelodeon would finally commit to a series. I believe the short started in like 1989. So by the time they had started the TV series, the kids had already aged four years. And they had like two years left before it was Puberty Town for Little Pete. <laughs> 
They were they were challenging the puberty gods on that. But uh, but yeah, that's that's what happened this Valentine's Day of 1991. And joining us uh, once again is Drew Mackey from Gayest Episode Ever. Welcome back to the show, Drew. Thank you for inviting me back um, another time. I'm always surprised when that happens. <laughs> well, you know, uh, on on your Gayest Episode Ever podcast, you've you've covered many Simpsons episodes, and that often does mean covering Patty and Selma episodes. And so uh, you're you're quite an expert uh, in podcasting about Patty and Selma. So a perfect guest mm-hmm. for this, I'd say. And I, I think you've proven, Drew, that you can cover episodes past like season 12 and everything's fine. I think for a long time, people assumed that if we covered anything past eight, the computer would just shut down. <laughs> it would not record audio, but we've we proved them wrong. Yeah, the, they, there's there's some good stuff beyond um, season 12. And uh, then there's the episode we most recently talked mm-hmm. about, which was extremely, extremely problematic, but uh, makes for a really good conversation. Yes, uh, the the season finale uh, at the time of this recording that you just released of Gayest Episode Ever, uh, your podcast with uh, with uh, with Glenn Lakin, uh, that you uh, talk about an episode that I sadly hadn't watched in a long time, and I think on this podcast I had mistakenly said it was a good gay episode of TV when it really well, isn't we yeah. made henry wear a hair shirt for this recording yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. i i feel very bad that uh, the you you explore with uh two great guests from the the podcast totally trans about how disgustingly transphobic that episode ends up being and it's uh very very sad yeah yeah and uh it's worth it for gay people and not gay people actually to uh note that sometimes a lot of uh pro gay rights stuff or pro rights for gay men and lesbians can often end up being kind of transphobic uh Mm -hmm. if you don't know what you're doing and that's what that's what that one ended up being that episode i now think about like just 2004 and what the you know mainstream political arguments were about being gay and it so much is about like the commodification of being gay and have also just like no see they can be normal and spend money they're not they're not all freaks and that mm-hmm. that uh sadly also led to yeah. just a lot of awful awfulness uh towards people who don't fit the the very strict rule of what a good gay person was allowed to be in america in 2004 and now we're working past that and so so is patty in fact so yes yeah, yeah interesting yeah. evolution of this character uh this is the first time they're really di- like diving into the emotional lives of these characters who were just written as cruel jokes uh on the family members of sam simon sorry the in-laws of sam simon as yes. we've learned patty and selma based on sisters-in-law he did not like <laughs> They've evolved beyond that to fully fleshed out lonely women who have desires. Overlapping sometimes and sometimes divergent desires. Mm-hmm. Is this the first episode where they actually do a good job of like differentiating Patty and Selma? Do you guys know? Yes. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's the first episode where they draw a distinction. And it's also the first episode in which uh, the spotlight is on side characters completely. Like this is not a Homer story. It's not a Bart story. It is about Principal Skinner and Patty. And it's mm. it's definitely the first time there was a scene where Patty is in a scene without Selma and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Like they they always appeared as a duo in every scene. Like uh, the the Thanksgiving episode went a little more into who they are as people, just a tiny bit. With like the, the every joke with them until the Thanksgiving episode was they hate Homer and that's mm-hmm. it. But in the Thanksgiving one, they actually show that they like being favored o- uh, over Marge, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, they brought food went to in case Marge's turkey ends up being crap and that you got to see that they're also kind of mean to Marge but 
the this episode is really the first time you ever care about them as people or you think of like that they have emotions other than hating homer yeah and that's like pretty remarkable to think about i mean i know i think they were in denial about uh how much of their viewership was actual children but like a lot of it was little boys our age at the time and that's a big feat to make like a nine-year-old boy who just <laughs> likes homer and bart care about these two antagonistic characters and i think they actually do a very good job and uh this this episode made me very happy to watch you know i think as a kid i probably didn't like all this love stuff and didn't understand the idea of like someone in their late 30s or early 40s struggling to to find love that that was very uninteresting to me as a kid uh but i would bet that just having some bart shenanigans in the middle probably kept my attention mm -hmm. back then i and and now i love this episode and uh, since we were apologizing up front i i will apologize because so this is written by david stern he wrote bart gets an f that's the most viewed episode of the simpsons ever on that podcast i assumed and i thought he was a full-time writer he was not based on the amount of episodes he wrote i thought he was but yeah. he is not a full-time writer he would come in occasionally but he also wrote another great uh selma episode is uh selma's choice so he writes mm -hmm. uh, he writes a patty episode here and then he writes a selma episode in season four mm -hmm. both very nuanced portrayals of these characters who were just one note jokes in conception yeah as far as i i tried googling as much as i could find about him and I, there's not that much about his personal life i assume he's just a straight male comedy writer and i have to give him a little bit of credit for uh it's not something straight male comedy writers are known for doing to be able, able to step outside their experience and like find humanity in um these like single unmarried women and like what their motivations might be and he does a fantastic job yeah uh reese on uh, mike reese one of the executive producers at the time you know he tells the story on the commentary like it, it, it he, he admits like this was kind of out of their wheelhouse of most of the writers on the show like they they're all just a bunch of guys who most of them went to the same frats and they didn't uh particularly see feel that interested in writing stories just for marge and lisa let mm -hmm. alone patty and selma i think uh the in stern really does find a niche i think from the sound of it it sounded like he had some production deal with gracie and was just like okay. around and like i i think he was probably working on like well could this be a movie or could this be a pilot with brooks and uh, while those were not coming to fruition they're like well you're around and on a production deal you want to write another simpsons like we've we've got an open slot again i guess it would make sense that that's what his like side gig was aside from writing simpsons episodes but um he even more so than a lot of episodes this season, this has a very James Brooksy feel to it. Yeah, in fact, uh, we'll get to it uh, in, a, in a while, but James L. Brooks essentially wrote the ending because mm -hmm. they were stuck. So the the scene with Skinner and uh, Patty, it's just him writing it. Like, here's yeah. how we get out of this problem. I'm James L. Brooks. You can helicopter me in. I'll write your ending. Yeah. Well, it's funny that compliment we give to Stern is uh, very similar to what, you know, Brooks got famous for in the 70s as a writer of like that he was there weren't a lot of women in most writers rooms back then. But uh, he was known as a guy who could actually like write women well back then. And I there's something. Uh, have you guys seen as good as it gets in a while? No. No, I only not, saw it. Not in a while. Yeah, I saw but, it like on video when it came out uh, 25 years ago. Well, when I whenever I talk about Brooks getting compliments from doing well at writing women, I do think of how the Jack Nicholson's character in the start of that is getting compliments for writing women so well. <laughs> and he then in a very negative way says like, oh, how do I write women? I write a man. I think of a man and I take away accountability. So that the fact that Brooks wrote that line about rejecting a compliment on writing women well it, it makes me think about what he really thinks about being told he writes women well mm. but mm. anyway that's the uh, 
that's a whole other theory I have. But the 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 point stands at Stern. I think is just really good. Right? He he is really good at Patty and Selma, especially. And it, like Patty takes a, a, an interesting journey. And we talked about Drew's episode that he did for Gay's episode ever, in which you cover. There's something about marrying where it's fully revealed after lots of hinting that uh, Patty is gay. So they start off presumably that Patty is just uh, possibly asexual. Selma is very interested in men. And throughout the history of the series, there's jokes about possible gayness between the, not between the two, but each character could be a gay character because the the instinct was for these male comedy writers, these mannish women, well, of course they're gay. Mm-hmm. And then they decide to turn that into, well, no, this could be a gay character for us. It's sort of like how Smithers was a vehicle for gay jokes, but then they could be like, well, Smithers can just be a gay person and not be a walking joke. That makes sense. The interesting thing about that is that, unless I'm mistaken, there's only one instance of them ever really projecting real mannishness or like a re- genuine lack of femininity onto Selma. And something I actually neglected to put in my video recap of uh, all the gay moments in the series history. And it's one of your listeners in, I think on Patreon, pointed out that I missed this. And they were right. But um, in the Cape Fear episode, when Sideshow Bob is at his parole hearing, the lawyer asks, like, who's thinking about killing Selma right now and everyone in the courtroom raises their hand including Patty and a guy sitting next to Patty like looks at her and makes a surprised face and Patty's response is she's always leaving the toilet seat up yeah actually there's another joke like that and I think it's Patty it's it's actually in season 12 when uh, Mr. Burns takes over the church and makes it very like a uh, corporate church uh, I believe uh, they're ta- like Lisa hates it and all the parishioners are talking about uh, the improvements I believe Patty says they put ice in the urinals so nice. yeah yeah but it is interesting that even before I think they realized Patty was gay, they were always putting the Patty is mannish jokes more on Patty. And Selma was, her thing was like either manless or like unable to keep a man, which no. is an interesting choice they might have made subconsciously. You're totally correct about that. Like Patty, I think, was always uh, viewed as the, uh, in, in the writer's perspective, the more mannish one. Because I remember when Marge is offering them tickets to the ballet and Marge and the Lamb, Patty is the one who snorts and says, that's girl stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which like she speaks for Selma in those moments but this well this is the episode that makes them two separate people they feel everything together in equal amounts every and they're pretty much like drawn next to each other in every shot before this one so this is the first time they become separate characters from one another and and yeah I mean I, I totally understand that in the 90s if you tell male comedy writers that you have two butch-ish women they it's just naturally going to travel in that direction Mm -hmm. of like oh we have a joke in here i kind of like how they do a joke about how her she has hair on her upper lip but uh at least that she doesn't care about it but once you introduce that idea it's like all right how much farther are we going with this like to to literally have Otto say to her face like you were born a man right like you can tell me I'm open minded. I, I mean like women, uh if, if they if they choose to, they, they can make they can maintain the hair that can grow on your upper lip, but they're not like how do how does a woman realistically, you know, prepare for a date? It's like it was a cheap joke. Yeah, it was yeah. A, it was a cheap joke that like, oh Pat Patty has a mustache because she is such a butch person. Yes. And I was looking at like the the direct statements that Patty 
is gay in the series and drew you covered one of those it was in uh the clown without pity uh segment of treehouse of horror in which homer runs out of the room naked and then patty goes there go the last lingering threads of my heterosexuality and then in season 13's jaws wired shut i believe there is a parade and there is a stain in the closet float it's smithers and patty you only see their hands and Mm -hmm. they do a little chant they say uh we're gay we're glad but don't tell mom and dad yeah, that uh, that Pride Parade, that was also... Boy, that has a joke in it that also I don't love that, like, I think lisa like acts bored by a pride parade or she's like yeah you do this every year it's fine yeah, like, yeah. i was like yep yeah just this i mean it's a very like liberal hollywood pronouncement of well everybody's fine with gay people now why even have a parade like right yeah but patty yeah she kind of became uh, uh, it's funny that the jokes about her being the quote-unquote man-hating dyke stereotype that then turns into just like well no we have a gay character now and hey bring on the glad awards like that kind of uh spirit is an interesting uh travel for any character uh but i uh drew i i've heard you you know say this theory on on your podcast before and i i do i like it the the idea in this episode that patty just is a person who is uninterested in sex and dating like she just doesn't care of like hanging out with her sister every day and doing that like that's the that is fulfilling for her and just mm-hmm. a life she enjoys like i i not and that she doesn't do it because she has to be in the closet i i like that reading uh of the character you you put you put out onto the show i like that they did eventually make her like an out gay character and i think it's interesting that she actually made that transition faster than smithers ever did because like there's a lot more smithers is gay jokes than patty is gay jokes leading up to the coming out but um yeah if you just look at this episode on its own and you haven't seen the rest of the show there's not really any hint that she might be a lesbian and as i have said before if you were just an asexual person who was watching this episode on its own you might actually get something uh it might it might ping your interest a little bit be like oh this character's sort of reading like an asexual character and that's not the direction they eventually chose to go with her and uh which is too bad because there's very very few asexual characters on any tv series ever but um had they let her do that it would have been actually really good representation of someone who (laughs) is just very happy with the way her life is and is not interested in she's interested in being friends with skinner but she doesn't want to kiss him clearly yeah she uh no i I, well it's funny on the commentary though hearing reese say like patty's gay right like (laughs) he just he straight up asks it then but they couldn't they didn't know yeah they i mean in 2001 even when they would have done the commentary that it was a spicy thing to make a canonical character in the show explicitly gay like and have you know it does show a certain level of progress like now if a show has no gay like any queer representation and just not at all on a show it's suspect to me i'm like what how can you like everyone straight on your show (laughs) like really yeah we, we talked about the uh, the sexuality stuff i will also say on top of this i feel like uh the writing about the relationship between twins is very good because uh, for the past 20 years i've been good friends with a set of twins and i they're probably listening to this and this is a compliment but i consider them to be the male patty and selma <laughs> and that they are inseparable they've lived together forever they've shared a womb for christ's sake and uh i don't know if they would think this of themselves because they've just been together for so long but i think they're each other's best friends too like they just get along so well but and I see that between Patty and Selma because ultimately they, they, they choose each other over yeah. over this possible schism in their relationship. And they often end up choosing each other in the end. I think only recently uh, we've gotten to a point where Patty is in a steady relationship and isn't always choosing Selma, which makes me feel bad for Selma. But uh, mm. 
Yeah, my, my dad is actually a twin and hmm. uh, he, he and his twin live on different continents now. And I am still jealous of their relationship and just that uh, I think it's a closeness that like you can't even make words for necessarily. It's just a beyond words thing that uh, I am jealous of as a single born human being. You know, as a kid, it, well, at the end of this episode that it, it hinges upon the closeness of twins. I didn't fully get it. I was like, well, that's a weird thing. To say. But now I totally it it, it is it feels genuine the mm -hmm. end of it it's not like a cheat about it yeah i i think this really showed the the we talk about how they're like episodes teach the writers lessons in season two of like oh the first lionel hutz episode shows that they can uh have a, a whole lot of fun in a courtroom we we need to keep going back to a courtroom and and the first troy the cable episode they're like we can just have them watch tv all day we can have just jokes on the tv and i think this one is one of those ones where are like we don't have to have the characters the family cannot be in scenes yeah and we can do a side story sometimes they explore stuff yeah they're like the side dish like so mm -hmm. the homer can be in a place where, where patty is or where skinner is but mm -hmm. he's not like the main focus of the story and maggie's not even in this episode hmm. yeah it's and well this also has uh two and a half first appearances i saw on the wiki they say this is the first appearance of another character and i don't fully agree with that mm. i think he really first appears in brush with greatness but i'll i'll get to it when, okay, when he's, okay. he's in it but uh but yeah uh this yeah and, and mark kirkland this is one of his, his uh, best episodes too like this just looks good like the coloring and the the tone and feel of this one is so so different from when you go into patty and selma's <laughs> world it feels different like it looks yeah. and feels different and yeah. uh, also to be asked to do two uh pointless vertigo parodies where <laughs> for this yeah. episode alone the uh springfield elementary just has a mish catholic mission style tower with a bell in it <laughs> for no reason I, I, I have I have a reach around for that. Ooh, okay. Oh boy. The Simpsons will be right back. This is Lisa Simpson. I just wanted to send a Valentine's Day wish to the people I love and who love me. My mom, my dad, my baby sister Maggie, and even though he'll never admit it, my brother Bart. Happy Valentine's Day from Fox. Next week, Danny DeVito guest stars as the voice of Homer's long-lost brother, Herb, on an all-new Simpsons. Now stay tuned for Babes, coming up next. Welcome to the break of the Greasy Joe's Bottomless Barbecue Pit of Podcasts. And Talking Simpsons is always happy to have back on Drew Mackey, our guest this week, co-host of the great Gayest Episode Ever podcast. Check out that podcast. I was just on it recently talking about the He-Man series. Also, if you're a fan of our podcast, you should definitely check out patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons because that is where me and Bob are supported by listeners just like you who subscribe and help us do this as our full-time jobs and if you support us there you get to hear every episode of talking simpsons a week early and ad free you can hear next week's episode right now if you signed up today and the same goes for our sister podcast what a cartoon you get to hear that early and a whole bunch of exclusive podcasts will be at your fingertips if you're a five dollar and up subscriber at patreon.com slash talking simpsons us covering shows like futurama king of the hill the Crit 
Riddick and Mission Hill and coming very soon us doing the same for our 10 favorite episodes of Batman the Animated Series. You can only hear those and so much more if you're a $5 and up subscriber at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. But if you would like the podcast equivalent of Cherry Cordials, you should sign up at the $10 premium level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Because on top of all the $5 exclusives I just talked about, you also get our monthly super premium podcast, What a Cartoon Movie, where me and Bob go super in-depth covering an animated feature film, often for over four or even five hours long. We just finished a whole summer of Disney Renaissance classics, Lion King, Hercules, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And now we just put out our Rotel Dorado podcast where we cover that underrated 2D DreamWorks film. And coming next month, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, one of the best Batman cartoons there ever was. You sign up today, you'll get three years of exclusive What a Cartoon Movie podcast, over 160 hours, and all the $5 stuff I just mentioned in the previous break. Check all of it out at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Well, to start the episode, uh, we do have a chalkboard gag about belching the national anthem. Uh, this comes seven months after Roseanne's national anthem uh, controversy, so I feel safe in saying that's probably a reference oh, yeah. to that. Yeah. Uh, which uh, then uh, we get a, a cute little couch gag of uh, the couch, the the rollout couch gag. I, it's cute. I think it's cute when their couch gags are still grounded in some sort of reality because I thought they had to do that. They're like, oh, we can just do anything, actually. It's fine. <laughs> I'm uh, As we go back through season two, I'm waiting for, like, when do they just fully shatter reality yeah. with these? Like, when... When does the couch eat them? Yeah, when's, <laughs> when do when does the carnival come to town? <laughs> <laughs> when they're short on time. Yes, yeah. Uh, that's a Gene and Reese special. But uh, so then we then get a, a rare bedhead Homer in the first clip here. I, I wish they kept doing this i love like the wavy lines on his hair it's such a small thing but i can just like feel sweaty ruffled hair <laughs> read through that i wish they'd have kept it I, I like that but i don't like how they draw extra stubble on his beard line it's like <laughs> sure. how do you make a how do you make a bearded character look more stubbly i don't know just like put little dots on his face does well, he ever have bedhead again because i don't recall ever seeing this version of homer again why i'm sure I, he does here and there and i'm trying to think i think his hair definitely gets rough on like a hot day in in future ones like yeah. to show sweaty hair but it's it's a rare look and this this also is still when he has just wavy hair in general it's the the wavy ends instead of the sharp pointed turns macaraning must yeah. be spinning in his uh well outside somewhere he's not dead <laughs> in his diamond uh, mansion <laughs> that's that's what he's spinning uh but yes homer is awoken by a call from his good buddy Hey, Homer, it's Barney. Did I wake you? I'm up. I'm up. How are you? All I wanted to tell you about was this new barbecue joint. Ooh, barbecue. It's called Greasy Joe's Bottomless Barbecue Pit. Ooh, ooh I can still taste the sauce between my fingers. And are you ready for this? It's all you can eat. This is like some beautiful dream. Uh. And one, and two, and three, and reach, and five. 
56. Mars, honey, I've got five words to say to you. Greasy Joe's bottomless barbecue pit. Remember, you promised you'd try to limit pork to six servings a week. Mars, I'm only human. Now, look, here's what we're going to do. We'll unload the kids on Patty and Selma Saturday night, and then we'll eat until they kick us out of the place, just like old times. Hmm, Saturday night? I'm not even sure my sisters will be available. I'll take that bet. <laughs> it's very funny that they realized in season four, like, hey, this Homer, this Homer shutting down an all-you-can-eat restaurant, mm. we didn't even see it happen. Yeah. Let's make it into a B-plot. Right. And also, when he says, just like old times, doesn't it seem like we would, in a later episode, would get a cutaway to, like, a remembrance of Homer doing that, and we don't hear, because I yeah. don't think they were as eager to do that? Yeah, yeah, you're right. This is totally a setup for a Family Guy-style cutaway, or well, a Simpsons-style cutaway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They did it first. I, I like the, as a, just a subtle implication, that the, their pre-marriage dating life was making her go to rest, all-you-can-eat restaurants with him and watching him eat until they shut the, they closed <laughs> down. That's, uh, that says a lot of what their relationship was. That, that, that is a, that is a valid romantic dynamic for some people, but apparently mm -hmm. it is not for March. Yeah. She's, yeah. yeah. She seems to put up with it of just like, well, this is the man I married. She, it's not. <laughs> Not a feeder scenario that they're into now. No. <laughs> uh, and like I, at this point in the series, Barney and Homer are best friends, and I think it's the idea of Barney calling Homer is very cute to me. I love because that. In a few years, Barney would not have the faculties to make a phone call. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> or it also would not be uh, like sober or non hungover enough in the morning to like use a phone. And um, apparently, he didn't drink last night. He just ate barbecue, which is very unBarney like. I, I got to think beer was involved with that barbecue at some point. Well, also the fact that he's calling Homer at eight in the morning, my assumption was he has not slept. He was up all <laughs> night and that he's like counting the hours. Like ah, I can't go to sleep. I'll never wait. I won't wake up until like nighttime. So um, when it's eight o'clock, Homer's awake enough. Now I can call him and tell him about the barbecue. <laughs> also just the sound of him licking it <laughs> off of his fingers over the phone. Like, ooh, like <laughs> Barney's near his most disgusting in this. I mean, this is not sneeze guard gross Barney. No. But, uh, <laughs> Mm -hmm. But I do love the dynamic of Barney is Homer and Barney were great friends when, and very close roommates when they were both single. Barney remained a single guy, uh, seemingly living in the same apartment he lived in with Homer as roommates, but he doesn't understand the differences that Homer is an adult now with with, with children, and so he's just like, "Hey, come on, Homer, do this! Come on!" It is a he. It's a more realistic realistic portrayal of this uh, this dirtbag until like he is just the joke. If you need someone to drink out of an ashtray, yes, <laughs> or drink turpentine. Yep. <laughs> the dynamic Barney has with Homer, I, I think, is very funny and cute. But I'm like, wait, is that what I am to my friends who are like married and work nine to fives now? Maybe. Oh no. Oh no. Maybe maybe I am that. I mean, it, I could see the writers also who all were childless at the time thinking like oh i'm i'm the dirtbag who calls my married friend and tells them like hey i know you're a father but let's have fun how about you have fun instead of being a dad you know <laughs> mm -hmm. this is at a weird time where homer is not equal gross as barney and that homer could like be disgusted by a belch in his face by barney i feel even a year later definitely two years later homer would just be equal to barney in disgustingness and not grossed yeah, out by him it's, it's weird that uh barney gets the food monster jokes yes. uh, and then homer it doesn't really i mean his, his belly's bulging he takes his pants off and stuff but still B B barney is the more disgusting one in this and equation. then barney like has to push homer to be a food monster 
Yeah. <laughs> I also like seeing the morning workout routine by Marge. That's how she has big ropey muscles, as Homer <laughs> describes them. So another like little subtle animation I love. The way Homer says, like, I've got five words for you. but And as he gets to the fifth word, he, like, stops for a second and looks at his fifth finger come up like, that is five. <laughs> like, uh, it, it's very subtle. I, I also like read it. it as a joke of their four-fingered nature. Mm right totally. like he forgot that like in this universe people only have four fingers for a second they had to figure it out <laughs> and this also feels very early 90s to me of like that when pork was seen as the unhealthiest of meats of like oh if there's one thing you shouldn't eat it's pork like now no it's a doctor will uh, a doctor told me recently red meat no 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 <laughs> not no more of that for you <laughs> when, when did pork become the other white meats yeah, i guess uh yeah the mid 90s with the proper ad campaign i suppose yeah <laughs> for me servings of pork once a week pretty much that's uh, I, I I'll I'll have and usually boneless pork chops lean and cut down. That's that's the rare. I, I it's pretty rare. I have bacon these days as well. Yeah. I feel like bacon should count for like two servings of pork if you're really being <laughs> careful about it. Though you know what? If I go out to uh, a thing, I had to tell myself recently, like you know. If you think you're not having bacon when you have like pork belly, you are having bacon. Mm. That's the same deal. Pork, honestly, I, probably worse. I've been proudly pork free <laughs> for 15 years. Wait, uh, no, 16. You'd have no fun of the Greasy Joes. Bob. No, no, yeah. I'd be eating no. like the celery they give you <laughs> beforehand. Uh, yeah, it's uh, and, and Marge also. Uh, she, I, I like that she is innocent enough to think that uh, Patty and Selma might have a date. I, <laughs> you know, don't assume they're dateless losers hey they've got plans and they do and they do have plans yeah so here's another first the first visit to the dmv we've never seen them at their job before who knows if it was stern or whoever but they came to a point in the script of like well where did patty and selma work where do the miserable mean awful uh, yeah. ants of bart and lisa where do they work the dmv is like the perfect choice yeah and you know what i, I didn't really get these dmv jokes until i moved to southern california because mm. in my small Ohio town the dmv was like one room with two folding chairs you were there for like five minutes when i had to get my license renewed uh in california uh when i had to actually get a california license to change over my ohio license it was I, it was a day off of work i had to take yep. a day off of work and i couldn't believe it. i was like this is where all the jokes came from <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's crazy, but yeah, like most most people, they they're they're not used to that kind of a DV, uh, not DVD, DMV. <laughs> my DMV is the Glendale DMV, and I actually have it in my notes that I it didn't these jokes did not make sense until I went there. I'm like, oh, that's probably what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. As a little kid who never even knew how to get a driver's license, these jokes were meaningless to me of like all the jokes of like oh, i guess the dmv eventually after they did about two or three of them i think i i understood like the dmv is a bad place like that <laughs> you know it's distracting in that line barney is seemingly in that line with a kid on his shoulder it's, it's like, like it's like barney's body but a different person's head and yeah. also the uh the boss from moe's bar in, in the arcade game is in line too right, so yeah. the, the, one another rare appearance of him and uh i i believe this is also a first in this uh, first appearance of the DMV, Krusty the Clown is in that line, and I do think that is the first casual Krusty in full clown costume appearance. Like hmm. that, we just fully accepted as Krusty the Clown walks into the scene and says, like, and he just says a line. It was meant as a joke that he's always in costume and always Krusty the Clown, and this I. I think this is the first time i can't remember a previous time in episodes we've done uh since revisiting season two and three one and two uh and then uh, at the front of the line we see Otto 
Uh, he's close to it, which Otto must fail here because he reveals in the auto show he does not have a driver's license. So he must fail his test here. Uh, sorry to go back a little bit because maybe I was just taking notes, but I, I neglected to realize the line for this DMV goes out the door into the street. Yes. Yes. Yep. It's it's very bad service. <laughs> and then we get the first appearance of Ralph Mellish, the uh, Hans <laughs> Mole Man. So at the front of the line, it's just a guy taking a test. And I think they just wrote old man. And he was drawn in such a crazy way of like a three foot tall potato looking dude. <laughs> I Matt Groening's uh, the story goes that Matt Groening's reaction was like he looks like a mole man. And then I think as a way of like dunking on Matt Groening, they kept putting him in there because they knew Matt Groening <laughs> didn't like him. And eventually uh, named him Hans Mole Man in uh, Barkett's Famous, yes, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. He's named Ralph Mellish. Uh, I guess an animator or layout artist would name this. That is a, a, a character in a sketch on the fourth Monty Python album. There <laughs> wow. you have it. Wow. Okay. It's on YouTube. Look it up. I should have realized such a specific name. It had to be their generation. They made the Simpsons. They didn't have the Simpsons. So their dorky names, they couldn't do Joey Jojo Jr. Shabadoo. They mm -hmm. had to do Ralph Mellish or whatever Python did. And one other uh, Mellish fact is that he was born on uh, August 2nd, uh, 1921. So he's already passed his 100th birthday wow. by the time you hear this. But very soon, Hans Moleman will be 100 years old. Ignore what he said in Duffless. Yeah. He had dementia. He had dementia. Yeah. Yes, he was in the wrong room. I like that. He, I think, was started as a DMV character because that's where his next like major scene is in the series. All right. Uh, Question mark. Yeah. Smiley face. <laughs> uh, but yes, the sisters can take care of them, uh, uh, babysit that night after they go to the wedding because they're not going to stick around for the reception. Uh, this is where we learn uh, a difference of opinion between the two characters for the first time because you think both of them hate the 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 happy couple but it's selma was you see in a flashback she was deprived love with this man uh or they they had a very cute meeting that patty then cuts short instantly and shoves him away and the woman he meets at lunch is who he marries yep yeah that's how that's how it can be in those workplace romances you know did you notice that given this is their first work appearance i think the explanation for why that there are uh little extra things added onto their regular costumes might be that they're getting dressed up for work. Ah. But like, they have like um, collars and like the dresses have added elements. So I guess these are just like an elevated version of what they normally wear. Hmm. But also, unless I'm mistaken, is this the first time Selma's wearing the S earrings? Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, you are correct. You are correct. Yeah. I, I think they return in um, uh, Selma's Choice. It's just uh, when they want to make a visual distinction between characters, they will have her wear the S earrings. Oh, that's interesting. Because I was trying to, I thought this might have been the only time we ever uh, saw them. I tried Googling uh, the history of Patty and Selma's earrings. Did not generate any real results and i was like i don't want to have to make that video but um yeah yeah uh, i thought it was interesting that like that that is a stylistic choice they do and you have to differentiate the two sisters in my head because i'm just such a simpsons freak uh i just know patty has the giant afro and mm. selma has the split afro <laughs> hans mole man like he's he's played almost like a normal person like but driving is my livelihood like just <laughs> it's uh that and it's kind of dan doing a smaller walter brennan it's not before he 
he fully became as crazy uh, well and also this is uh back when he had a a darker skin tone i i feel like it's like four or five appearances before they just settle on they they kind of shift i i i feel like it's not until homer adopts him uh as uh thinking he's bart is that's when they fully commit to like hans Mulman is yellow like the simpsons mm. he, he says calabunga dudes yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm looking up other appearances. This could be the only appearance of the ass earring because in uh, Black Widower and in uh, Selma's Choice seasons three and four episodes, uh, they're wearing their uh, Patty Triangle earrings and Selma Circle earrings. So, wow, you yeah, know, mentally, I just drew in the S in my head in all those appearances. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was more widespread than this. It might have just been because this is the first episode that ever ha- made me I differentiate the two in any meaningful way. Uh, then we head to the Church of Springfield. Uh, it's the I think this is the first time we have seen the church used for anything other than sunday services and uh and i like lovejoy well welcoming work related acquaintances <laughs> like, it's, hey this is also perfect patty and selma they are wearing black dresses to a wedding yeah. like i love that that's such like I- intentionally jerky of them uh and it was also interesting to me in the flashback that stanley is attracted to selma like there's there is chemistry between them they've so many times they write selma as being a one-sided sexual attraction to a man and the show is very uh i say i would say flattering to patty and selma because the perspective of the show is that homer is fat and disgusting not at this point is the perspective of the show that patty and selma are fat and disgusting homer can call her fat or gross but the show isn't like look at these gross women who are just vile and awful mm-hmm. they're like no they're just two average women and one of them is very lonely and then a man like stanley who is written to be like average dude uh would be attracted to selma like yeah there's you know in selma's choice there's the different bit of like when she is really throwing it out there to the bag boys and at the grocery store and they both of them treated like i don't want to have sex with this woman yeah like yeah back to the lock for you nessie yes yeah exactly that's what willie says (laughs) that's correct i I wanted to ask you guys on as as the relationship between patty and selma versus homer evolves it is more like them calling each other fat and disgusting and trading barbs and that is something that happened a lot in sitcoms we used to watch when we were kids and some of it's really toxic and awful like most of the time al bundy is making fun of fat women on married with children it comes off as like hostile and punching down but i feel like it's not punching down when homer spars with patty and selma and i can't really explain why i want hmm. to know what you guys think about that well i do think there's some parody uh or uh, there's some level of equality because they are both fat and so it's two fat people calling each other fat and and throwing insults at one another it's like well i can say this because i'm also heavy and so let's just both throw barbs that way but i do think homer has a lot of like misogyny on his side when yeah. making fun of them and calling them like trash bags that's also true of uh, i'm thinking of married with children again where al and marcy would get into these back and forth where uh, i mean it was always much uglier the things coming from al but often Mm. they would let marcy win yeah or she would give as much as she would get that makes sense and and it's not like him saying uh walking in the door and saying a fat woman came into the shoe store today and the audience explodes (laughs) and waits for the story I think I remember that episode actually happening, but okay, I'll take your word for it. That didn't actually happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> the idea too, that like Patty is just sick of this. While meanwhile, she, she also isn't paying attention to 
Selma feeling different from her like she's like well yeah we both agree let's get out of here she doesn't see that Selma is like wistful and sad of like oh there went another man I could (laughs) have had I I will say like the one unflattering thing that they show you of Patty and Selma is uh, that very funny drawing of Patty just asleep on the couch barefoot with her mouth Mm -hmm. open but it shows you like Patty she doesn't care what people think of her yeah so she's not interested in a relationship she is just who she is it's not like look at this gross disgusting woman it's like this is just Patty and that's who she is when I was watching this episode to talk about it for this uh, I tried to see if I could find the uh, cell of Patty asleep on the couch to buy and hang in my home and I could not I couldn't find it, <laughs> it's, uh, a, it's, a, it's a really funny drawing I love that shot yeah before Homer and Marge come home uh, we have a cute little scene between Lisa and Selma which honestly Lisa's a bit mean in this sequence <laughs> Randy you're a fine girl what a good wife you would be but my life my love and my lady is the sea. Poor Brandy and Selma. Hmm. Do you think you'll ever get married? Oh, I don't know. Why? You know somebody? No. Hmm. And since I'm sure that you'd only resent the pity of an eight-year-old niece, I'll simply hope that you're one of the statistically insignificant number of 40-year-old single women who ever find their fair prince. Jeez, yeah. Ouch. Ouch on Lisa. You know, you think she'd be a little nicer. (laughs) But you can also tell that they're in the same room. Yes. Like with how sharply Lisa says no. It just feels like it's a real back and forth between Julie and Yardley. Uh, the the way Selma's desperate, like, you know somebody? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, yeah. I... I have I have a reading for why they choose Brandy. Mm. Um, mm. Brandy is Skinner, and the sailor that is telling Brandy, "You're great, but I can't marry you because I'm I'm in love with the sea." Is Patty, and like in the same way that Patty recognizes there are things she likes in Skinner, but it's just not going to work, and she has to leave him in the end. And I tr- would love to believe this was chosen on purpose, but it might just be it very harmonious coincidence hmm. i think you're right yeah. i think yeah i i think that's uh very intentional i think well also it's just you know for selma she thinks she's singing the song about how lonely she is and how like oh another man left me but i i think it much more fits for for patty and, and skinner's relationship later it's it's thematically appropriate and it's very funny to hear julie kavner sing it in that voice yes yes oh, so, um, i love that <laughs> I think Julie Kavner, um, I think we kind of take her for granted more than we take other voice actors on the show, but she does a great job in this episode, giving depth to three different characters who sound very similar, and she has to differentiate them all. I think she does a very good job. But um, do you guys listen to You Must Remember This? I do. Yeah. Are, yeah. Are you, did you listen to the season she did on Polly Platt and her work with James L. Brooks? I did, but it's been a while. So um, this made me think of something that is one of my favorite Julie Kavner stories, and that's the fact that Julie Kavner starred in this movie called I'll Do Anything, which was James L. Brooks's musical that they later stripped all the musical numbers out of because yeah. I, whatever reason it didn't work. I still have not seen it. But in the podcast, she talks about how some pop stars actually wrote the songs that were used in that movie, and one was written by Prince, and Prince was on set to see his song be sung in the movie and his song was sung by Julie Kavner. And there's a very funny like memory of Prince watching Julie Kavner like gravel voice her way through one of a song that he wrote and it being like, okay, well I got to go and leaving. <laughs> and this oh. made me think of Julie Kavner uh, singing and how it's, it's great <laughs> in its own way, but it's maybe not what a professional songwriter wants to hear. Yeah. Oh wow. And it's always funny to think like when Julie Kavner signed on for the Simpsons, she did not know she'd be uh, singing in these voices. Yeah. That was not on the table. <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe I would think she 
prefers a Patty and Selma to a Marge lines these days. Like she yeah. can at least go. I I think it's probably more comfortable for her to go into a lower register with them than to be high with Marge all the time. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have to. The listeners expect me to yeah. imitate Marge's voice. It's, it's a hallmark yeah. of the show. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's great. I expect it. Uh, uh, but yeah, the the Brandy song too. I'd I'd never heard the original uh, as a kid. I I think I heard it a little after. I probably had. It's one of those ones where I was like, "Mom, what song is that?" She's like, "Oh, that's Brandy." I I, I had that growing up, and uh, the song by Looking Glass, and it was a it was a major plot point in Guardians of the Galaxy two. Uh, so that's uh, right. That's uh, when I heard it in that movie, I was like, oh, that's Selma's song. They're, they're playing that. When that song plays at the start of that movie, I was like, ah, oh, Kurt Russell's the villain. Got it. Got it. Mm. He's he's the bad guy here. Ooh. Those movies are okay, but they are the Ready Player <laughs> One of classic rock. It's like, all your favorites are here. Uh, hey, if it let a, a new generation appreciate the song Brandy by Looking Glass. Yeah, then, stepdads then, aren't driving their kids around anymore. They're not hearing this music. <laughs> It's not what they play in grocery stores anymore. They play our music from the 90s and 2000s in grocery stores now. It's weird. Yeah, these grocery stores should should be like us and reject the idea that time has moved forward, that the <laughs> 80s were in the past. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was the last decade that happened. So Lisa's, I was trying to find, unfortunately, that guy, 3002, I normally can count on. He has not got a hand on a copy of the table read version of this script. But I feel Lisa's very mean line about women over 40 never getting married uh, is ADR because the lip yeah. movements are all off. And I think I know uh, the source on that. Uh, I I stumbled upon this because I was trying to say, like, okay, what's the stats now? But like, if you're over 40 and unmarried, will you ever be married? And those are uh, hard to pin down. I could find a Psychology Today 2020 article that said it's more like 25%. Like if you hmm. if you're not married by 40, 25% says you'll never be married. Like that's that's where the stats at now. Uh but from that article, uh they brought to my attention what this probably is referencing. In 1986, Newsweek did a cover story that a lot of people remembered which said, "Quote a 40-year-old woman who had never married were more likely to get killed by a terrorist than to ever get <laughs> married. And uh, tw oh. 20 years after that, Newsweek took that back. They're like, we were wrong. We read the stats wrong. Uh, it's it's not that unlikely for a 40-year-old woman to never wow. be married after that. I, I got married when I was 38. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're, you were testing the, the numbers <laughs> there. But, but yeah, so when Lisa says the statistically impossible thing of a woman, unmarried woman over 40 getting married, I think it is that Newsweek piece mm. that, that she's recalling. Well, there was a lot more terrorism in the 80s right especially planes <laughs> being hijacked it was more likely well i'm 39 so let's just move on <laughs> okay yeah, yeah. This, the well i mean too back then i think it was much more mainstream than it is now to guilt a woman in her 30s yeah. into not being married like it was a much more normal thing to do i mean also like back then it's like the thought was well why don't you get married and buy a house like you can do when you're married <laughs> like yeah mm -hmm. but that's what i love about patty and some of the unspoken thing is why they take all those trips is because because they don't have you know fucking kids taking all their mm -hmm. money away they can travel the world they're real uh dinks yeah. uh, although they are related and not yeah. married yes they do seem to go to places that we're supposed to interpret as being unpleasant even if like i would go to egypt but the way mm. their version of egypt sounds very unpleasant i want to visit lenin's tomb they still can <laughs> it just sounds like no matter where they go their takeaway is they hate everything yes yeah <laughs> which that's so great that like they they spend must be thousands of dollars to do all this traveling and when they come back like it sucks 
It's awful. Then <laughs> they, they really drop that aspect of their characters after mm. like season four. After that, their job is to be hateful and smoke. Yeah, that's their their two. And for Patty to be gay, that's. Um... Do they even smoke in this episode? Yeah. Mm. Oh, they, yes. buy, they buy they buy cigarettes, but it's it's a very smoking like episode for a Patty and Selma focused one. Yeah, I, actually, the one smoking thing I can remember is when uh, uh, Lisa tells, uh, sorry, Bart tells Selma that Skinner is going to propose to Patty. The cigarette ash falls like yeah. as a reaction. <laughs> It's, you know, nice. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. You think she would like uh, Skinner wouldn't like a smoker, but he's just so smitten. But Homer and Marge get home. I do really laugh at the animation of Homer's freed gut from his belt. <laughs> I've I've had nights like that. I've had those moments. It, it maybe want barbecue, which I don't think was the animator's intention, but it really works. So. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's again they're they're really holding back in season two. You don't even see this feast. Yeah, you don't see Marge being humiliated like you do with uh, the sea captain's <laughs> restaurant. Uh, and I also like Patty, pa- you know, Patty being passed out on the couch. She's a bad sister. She left it to Selma to tuck the kids in. You know, this you got you've got Bart and Lisa and Maggie to tuck in. That's a two woman job at least, you know. But I, I don't think Patty has a maternal bone in her body. It's just not in her. And Selma has that biological clock that's ticking and she gets something out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Homer sits next to Patty. A joke I did not get as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Like, I, I think we talked about it in the last podcast, but it, I just I, I sort of re-got it this time in that Homer is calling Barney to be like, oh, it was amazing, Barney. And then Patty is snoring next to him on the couch. He's like, oh, no, that's just my sister. So Barney thought Homer was just farting throughout the conversation or his stomach was being very loud. I choose farting. Yeah. I choose to think Barney even thinks, I think Barney's line on the other end was saying like, are you calling from the toilet? Like Homer's like talking to him on the toilet. It's one of the most subtle fart jokes Uh, in the history of the show. No, that's just my sister. (laughs) This is when uh, Marge is taken aside by Selma. I think that too shows that like Selma doesn't want to say this in front of Patty. Like she, she wants Marge only to know I need a man. She closes the door to the kitchen, which almost never closes on this show. Yeah. Yeah. Usually there's not even a door in the doorway. The, the door is there to hit someone in the face accidentally <laughs> occasionally or to swing to reveal that the clean kitchen is now dirty again. yes yes and i really love when she like is just so earnest to marge and just like i need a man and then marge like reaction like well i'll try <laughs> Uh, the Marge actually, her trying is telling Homer to do it. Yeah, like she she doesn't well, really go, go out to find a guy for her. Homer leaves the house more often. That's true. Marge, Marge goes nowhere and meets no one and has no friends. So it's got to be Homer to find somebody at work. <laughs> I think Homer is just around more more men. You know, mm-hmm. that's true. Mm-hmm. Though I've never, you know, I I've never been tasked with setting up a date for a friend or anything. I haven't. It's uh, it's, uh, it's too much of a responsibility. You know. I've have that conversation with heterosexual women and then i have to say like i i all the heterosexual men i know are married yeah exactly <laughs> and when i was single no one was setting me up with anybody mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> what does it say about me i don't know uh, it worked out just fine for you we all know the story yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah let me tell it again <laughs> podcasting got us all together yes right? podcasting sweethearts yes. uh but yeah so uh marge then tells homer he he owes her in this next clip Do you remember our last family vacation when you made us go to the Bowlers Hall of Fame in St. Louis, Missouri, so you could see that car shaped like a giant bowling pin? Remember? Who could forget? 
And you'll also remember that you owe me a favor oh, to be called up whenever and for whatever reason I desire. But that was just an idle promise. Not to me. <laughs> I want you to find a husband for my sister Selma. Find a husband? Wait, which one's Selma again? She's the one who likes police academy movies and Hummel figurines and walking through the park on clear autumn days. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought she was the one who didn't like to be, you know, touched. Mm, it's Patty who chose a life of celibacy. Selma simply had celibacy thrust upon but her. But, Homer, <laughs> you will find her a man. All right. And not just any man. Okay. You should be honest and, and caring yeah. and well off. And handsome. Hey, why should she have a better husband than you do? I, I love that line about celibacy so much that I wrote it as I was watching the scene. Like, I, I already know this line. It's so perfect. It does feel James L. Brooksy, too. I love that line so much. Uh, in some of my single days and years, I thought about celibacy being thrust <laughs> upon me at times. Yes, I, I love that. I love that line. And I will. I always love Julie Kavner saying vacation. Mm. Instead of vacation, in she Saint says Louis. vacation. Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. It, she says it a lot in Itchy and Scratchy Land. Oh, yeah. Um, celibacy thrust upon you. This is a great word choice, verb choice uh, line that is made better if if they had used that instead of any other verb, you know? Yes, I agree. You know, another first in here is I believe this is the first time they do a Homer. Do you remember the time you blank and then they have a picture right there? That, another mm-hmm. great joke structure. They would only escalate the where they went jokes where yeah. it's just a bowling, uh, a car in the shape of a bowling pin and Marge looking very bored. <laughs> and I guess also this is like original year Simpsons of like, well, Homer loves bowling so much he'll make the family trippy about it uh, that instead of this episode it has both keys of it of like oh you've got you've got an early Homer food monster joke of him being like a dumpster you fill with food and then mm. a joke about bowling and you see the choice they made later and <laughs> but uh, for me you know I it also feels different that Homer even gives a shit about a promise he made to Marge and he wouldn't just go like, well, who cares? I got what I wanted and I was lying. Like, I'm not doing what you want. Yeah. And like, he even like sorts of, sort of makes an effort to find someone who doesn't suck to like pair Patty, uh, Selma up with, which is b- better than he normally do. Yeah. He yeah. Would just... He would, he would pull in the first wino off the streets. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah. Barney we... would have just been his first choice. Right. In this case, Barney's his plan B, which is not much better, but uh, <laughs> when what do you guys think of what Marge says about uh, the celibacy story with Patty? Do you think that she is assuming that Patty is uh, had celibacy thrust upon her? Or do you think it's something Patty told her because she didn't want Marge to get all up in her business if you think she's actually quietly gay this whole time? Hmm. You know, with the hindsight of what they later established with her character, it is easy to read it as Patty was in the closet, did not want to tell Marge about it or any other member of her family other than Selma, I would assume. And mm-hmm. so she just tells when asked, like, well, why? When are you going to try to get a husband? Where's the you never go on dates? And she just says, I'm celibate. I just uh, I'm not into yeah. that. Like I I could see 
uh, Patty just being like confirmed bachelorette uh, type of person, you know. Or she's just so private with her love life. It's not even on the table for discussion. People assume, oh, yeah, she just she likes living alone or living with pa- uh, Salma, rather. That's mm-hmm. just her life. And then that's how she lives it. Now you mentioned it in the one where she comes out. You don't actually see her come out to Selma. That happens off screen in like before that episode even takes place, presumably. And it's a bummer that we never actually get to see that mm-hmm. conversation happen because it would probably have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I guess especially when it's your twin and roommate at a certain point you'd have to they would know you're dating women uh like i i would think selma would know yeah this clear line to homer marge describes it like selma is depressed and lonely patty mm. is angry and not interested in men like that mm. that is the clear delineation there and because this isn't a very special episode it wouldn't be about patty being gay which is the only way you'd be allowed to have a gay character on the simpsons if they did the very special Mm -hmm. episode back in 1991 like that was on on roseanne when they could have a lesbian it was either like a joke that like oh this character has a girlfriend now or the episode where they go to a gay bar Mm mm-hmm I oh sorry I do love the description of Selma loving a police academy movies oh, and right. figurines. I, I wanted to touch upon that as like a uh, hallmark of bad taste where yes. I think uh, 20 years later it would have been like oh she likes Adam Sandler movies I don't know what yeah. it would, would be now though boy what would she she like? likes Marvel movies take that yeah. Henry oh, no <laughs> no they wouldn't say that it'd, it'd be some feminine movie like I don't know it would have been Fifty Shades of Grey or Twilight movies like a decade ago yeah yeah I don't know what the coded joke for it would be now I guess well what RuPaul's Drag Race maybe no it wouldn't be that I mean there are there are like two other Police Academy jokes in the series and I, I think we talked about it in that there are other bad movies that are way worse it was just safe to call this bad yes in your in your tv show right homer then he's given his job we cut to a very random scene of uh mrs grabapel teaching chemistry which is not really her thing no and 10 year olds don't do these kind of experiments yeah actually this feels like a, a full-on sequel scene to bart the genius where yeah. he's given the uh, uh acids and bases mixing together that somehow turns everyone green <laughs> So it's interesting that in a storyline that it's like primarily about Principal Skinner finding a romantic interest that we see Edna for like a few seconds. And it's not even in the writer's heads at this point that uh, he might eventually have like romantic interest for Edna, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It'll be another year before Krabappel says like his mommy won't let him out yeah. to play. So. This, this does feel like a nice prologue to uh, Springfield Confidential in that uh skinner falls in love with a woman who is also very like uh brusque Mm -hmm. she's also very yeah hateful but that's why he loves her yes (laughs) he's got a type (laughs) and uh this is a rare appearance of a non-rusi taylor martin this is pamela hayden voice on martin so uh there you have it huh i didn't even notice yep yeah it's so distracting when they don't get rusi in these early ones so i i charted it for season two Rusi Taylor, they bring her in for a major Martin episode and Bart gets an F uh, because Martin is like all of act two of that one. Uh, but then uh, Martin has like a line here or there for uh, the rest of season two. But then it's Lisa's substitute when Martin is running for class president. They get Rusi Taylor mm. back. So that's a return. So it sounds like uh, budget wise, they're like, well, let's not get Rusi if we don't have to. For one line where she explains what... Uh, sodium tetrasulfite is yes yeah uh which there's many lines in here that almost so i i know other people write like this on the show but george meyer and john vd are both you know uh science students from harvard 
Bird mm-hmm. and also love Batman, the Adam West show. And there's several lines that feel like an Adam West Batman line. And that includes how yeah. Martin says it's also a potent herbicide. And uh, they both also worked for SNL, and yes. which is why both Bart and Homer tent their fingers and say excellent, because that's <laughs> what Jim Downey on SNL would do. That's why... Adil, Mr. Burns, Bart, and Homer all do it very early in the series because they're all cribbing from Jim Downey, the SNL writer. I did not know that until now. That's uh, Then they just decided, you know, just Mr. Burns yeah. does that. No one else does. I wonder, too, that they give Bart this prank. Do you think at this point they're think- they've been told, like, don't give Bart an imitatable prank. So, mm. like, okay, we'll give him a thing no kid can have access to so then he can uh, deface school property with it. It's it's also like a very dumb prank yes, uh, in that yeah. he doesn't think it through at all. Other pranks, uh, Bart is way more diabolical. We see Bartesque even. Yes. Uh, <laughs> with Big Butt Skinner, we see like different designs he has for it. Like mm. he has documents and things like that. This one, he's just defacing the lawn with his own name. The second he's got a chance. Then, uh, you know, Mike Reese, he brags about a little on the commentary and I think he's right to do so. They do a Terminator vision joke of Homer walking around and seeing people through Terminator vision in uh-huh. first person and Terminator 2 wouldn't come out for a few months after this. It's true. It's actually uh, July of 91. We just passed the 30th anniversary as of this recording. So is this a RoboCop? Uh, you know, I still, they say it's Terminator, but it does actually, you know, the vision is not red. RoboCop doesn't have the red vision. Hmm. He has the, the clearer vision. So it could actually be RoboCop, not Terminator. Yeah. You, I think you're onto something, but, but either way, they are not referencing a recent thing. And also like, I feel a Terminator vision joke became a lot more mainstream hmm. in comedy after T2 came out. So the fact they beat T2's release when Terminator was just like, you know, I think people definitely knew it as a movie but terminator 2 is what made it like a mega hit series mm-hmm. and uh and yes uh, as bart as homer's walking around we see that he views carl as too attractive that's, that's why what i think of when i think of carl he's, mm-hmm. he's a handsome guy and you notice that they spelled it with a k like the other carl and not Carl oh, oh I you're right that. about that Dang. Yeah. Man. and uh and then also it's it's funny then too that the next two people he looks at one is smithers who's the <laughs> other major gay character but homer only thinks he's a jerk and right. then and then the next person he looks at is a woman miss finch who patty <laughs> would be down for that one I will restate that I think it's RoboCop. Here's my here's my case. I'm going to lay out my case for you. Terminator 1, 1984, seven years before this. People like the movie. It's not something people think about. Right. RoboCop 1 is 87. RoboCop 2 is 90. Uh, Comes out probably while they're writing this. I think this is a RoboCop reference. I think You're wrong, I mean, Mike Reese. Yeah, <laughs> it was retconned uh, in his thinking to be a Terminator 2 reference. I, I rest my case. I think you're right. You know what? Fine. You, you win. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I need validation. You know what? Also, the reticle on him is more of the aiming reticle that that RoboCop uses instead of I think it's like a square thing in Terminator Vision too. So all right, what what is a reticle? Oh, it's uh, you know the the bullseye, the aiming thing you use in like a video game with a gun. Oh, okay, cool. I did not we, know that word existed. Now, we've, I've, now I've learned two things this episode. So this is <laughs> this is we're on a roll. Henry and I both read about video games for a decade. I think we use the word reticle a thousand times each. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, there's only so many words to describe HUDs and all the all this uh, these words I learned for a job that doesn't exist. My health anymore. bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, we get the very funny scene of Skinner. You know. Uh, well first we kind of have a sequel to Bart the Genius as well of, of Skinner telling him like hey 
hey don't you guys do this and it's even like it's almost like the classic pathetic upshot of of skinner it's funny how much and i like it because skinner's my favorite character i like how they soften him because up until he falls in love all the shots of skinner are like looking up at him from a child's Mm. perspective like he's imposing he's humorless and then we soon find out he is a love-struck fussy nerd and then bill oakley and josh weinstein will really dial down on that with uh the season five uh finale where he loses his job like that is really where he comes into being but they're slowly developing him this is the first time he is more than this one note character from life in hell like macarini's principal uh then we get a shot of uh, homer at uh quickie mart uh eyeing apu funnily enough in season seven selma will be asked to marry apu but she turns it down <laughs> because she only wants to marry for love now and maybe one more time for money she so. married uh sideshow pop twice yes yeah <laughs> that's right to wilger bouvier huts bouvier no mcclure bouvier you know yeah. we've like in 30 years we've outlapped a lot of the food parody jokes so i don't know if a homer getting a seafood burrito at the quickie mart is supposed to be a joke because i thought that sounds delicious i like seafood burritos i think in 1990 one is that when this is yeah uh, we're, we're supposed to think it's gross and he's gonna get food poisoning from like under uh, like uh, spoiled shrimp in a burrito mm. yeah. eating eating seafood from a 7-eleven was seen as uh a death sentence i guess which is mm-hmm. it's funny when you visit uh say japan where 7-eleven has plentiful fresh fish mm. everywhere and uh you can just get a sushi uh any kind of sushi <laughs> uh, plate there but the 7-eleven near my house sells sushi and i have had people tell me it is not terrible but they were drunk when they had it so, I <laughs> it up, so. that's the right time to eat 7-eleven sushi i think hungover well, but still alive sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little cute how apu like breaks homer's concentration and it's funny to hear even homer say like oh sorry like he's <laughs> an apologetic homer for uh being lost in thought is is also different for the show <laughs> Uh, Homer walks by a, a random guy and he thinks like just a guy and I love how that guy gets sick of Homer staring at him like what yeah the fuck are you looking at me it's the perfect beat of yeah. just silence <laughs> and him frowning and uh, they drive by a Laramie cigarette sign and Homer thinks pro smoker con just a sign the debut of Laramie cigarettes right that's right you are and, correct and then they're yeah. name checked later when Patty and Selma go to buy their own brands oh, mm-hmm. that's great man Laramie what a what a constant in the show you know there's there's not as many people just don't smoke anymore so mm-hmm. there's not even really like cigarette brand jokes anymore I guess I don't think Patty and Selma vape yet in the no. show uh, people were still smoking in the writer's room so oh, yes, uh, that's true yeah. Yep. I think there is a vaping episode, um, but I think it has to do with them burning their mother's house down. Uh, this is like this is like reaching way back into my watch through the entire series. But a few <laughs> years ago, I think there's they try to switch to vaping because they burn Grandma Bouvier's house down. There, yeah, there's an episode called Puffless, which is when they stop smoking because they learn we learn the fate of Marge's dad that he died of lung cancer. Oh, maybe that, I'm probably misremembering. You're right. But uh, then we cut back to Skinner. As a kid, I laughed at the idea of an adult loving tater tots. But now you put a plate of tater tots in front of me. I'm like, this is the greatest food I've ever had. This is the Skinner I like where he is just tickled by very mundane things and talking to himself and just being very mm-hmm. corny. That's the, that's the Skinner I love. It's a very performative, like, weirdness for no one. Yes, yeah, that yeah. that's the bit that really feels like Adam West to me. Like, yeah. that that's how Batman would say, but he's, he'd be saying this to Robin, not to himself. He's just like, oh, I smell sodium chloride mixing with uh, p- sodium tetrasulfate. Like, just saying that out loud, that is a... 
uh, like Batman enters the room like I smell that this yeah if Willie had been introduced earlier he would be in the room to say something rude to Skinner after after he said the statement but Uh, Willie is not his constant companion yet yeah you know I just went to Disneyland and had one of the 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 giant chicken sandwich thing that is at the Pim Test Kitchen in Avengers Campus and and that came with tater tots and at a certain point I had to be like I cannot eat more tater tots stop <laughs> touching them throw them away because you're just gonna eat every tater tot on your plate and your husband's plate that's how they get you more. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah then we get a very random Vertigo reference that just feels like they knew they could they're like we can just do a Hitchcock reference do it yeah the, the seldom no- seen um. Uh, bell tower yes. sorry drew so it does only exist in this one episode correct this yes. never existed before or since okay yeah and it's in a different architectural style too it's like the classic mission style that exists in uh, san francisco where the movie takes place so i actually grew up next to the san juan batista, san juan batista mission which is where they filmed vertigo so it's south of san francisco in like nowhere middle of california and the bell tower does not exist in real life they the bell tower was completely fabricated for the movie and is not part of the actual mission they just picked the mission that didn't have a bell tower to throw kim novak out of a bell tower from which is hmm. very strange interesting wow man yeah. that's the, now but, i've learned something so, but I, my theory, so I, I'm sure, like they, they say in the director's commentary that like there was no point to doing this Vertigo reference other than just to do it. But if you watch Vertigo, and everyone should, because I think it's a very, very good movie that holds up very well. There, a major plot point is that twinning is something that happens in this movie and that the main character is suspicious of these two women who look inexplicably alike. And it is interesting in this movie, Principal Skinner is confronted with identical twins but he thinks patty is like a love goddess and selma is just like a sack of nothing <laughs> and uh he's still like doing a reverse of the jimmy stewart character in vertigo i'm probably overreaching that was probably all accidental and not something they, they intended to do i, I think you've uh, reverse engineered into being justified now i think so yeah <laughs> it's also funny that skinner could have just walked out to look at the lawn he didn't need yes. a bird's eye view uh and then he has to stop to look down and get vertigo just like jimmy stewart does in the film yeah again uh, way over my head as a kid i watched vertigo because of all the simpsons references and i was uh way too young to fully appreciate how brilliant it is yeah as, as an adult i i now do i thought it was boring until i saw it in my 30s and i liked it but the crowd thought it was funny and I got mad at them. Uh, those uh, you watched it with ironic San Francisco yeah. dir- jerks. I'm yes. better than this old movie. <laughs> I live in the Bay Area. Yeah. I pay too much rent. I can <laughs> laugh at this all I want. Bart gets caught. I love his thing. Like maybe it was one of the other Barts, sir. There are no other Barts. The most uh, proactive Skinner, just yeah. screaming at the top of his lungs. <laughs> like righteous, and he's correct about something for once in his life. Skinner doesn't make many mistakes in this. He's actually shown to be like pretty on the ball, like not pathetic, like impresses people with his memory and also the respect people show him, which is very much not Skinner's life. This this is what happens before you add Agnes to the mix. You it's know? true. And it's implied that he lives alone, too. Yes, yeah. Well, Agnes had appeared before. Right. But it was treated like my visiting mother, not uh, not the woman I live with. So uh, it's time to call Homer, which is very... If a teacher said, I'm going to call your dad over my mom, I'd be like, 
I am in so much trouble right now. Like you're supposed <laughs> to call my mom. Don't call. But they just, uh, they decide Homer kind of uh, randomly here. We see the Simpsons home phone number. It is five, 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 six, seven, five, four, a far cry from Klondike five, three, two, two, six, which mm. is seemingly both their home number and the Mr. Plow. Which phone one number. is on the shoes? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> uh, Oh, I got to break my shoes out of my Mr. Plow shoes that have the number. Also a very dark joke that Moe's is the third thing on mm-hmm. his, it's home work Moe's because Homer is an alcoholic. I remember uh, one of the few times I got in trouble in grade school, uh, they wanted to call my mom and I forget what I did. I think I said something about the principal <laughs> and uh, they only had the home number and they wanted her work number to call her at work and I wouldn't give it to them. <laughs> and I successfully stonewalled them until the end of the day nice. and I got out. Nice. So Dang. yes. They they eventually realize this is more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, they just let you like they did bring it up again the next day. They're like, well, he won this one. It never came up again. Huh, I think I just got the tension that the the mother phone call never happened. <laughs> Almost as if it didn't really matter. In the yeah, end. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. My record is clean. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, so then Skinner makes a real mistake turning away as Bart makes his phone call because <laughs> he should maybe watch on Bart as he does this. But instead, he calls Mo. And I, I, I mean, what? How brazen of Bart here too. He's calling from the school phone line with a witness there, and he still is gonna prank call Mo. <laughs> he can't not do it. Uh, and as a kid, the term homosexual definitely uh, flew over my head in this next yeah, clip <laughs> for sure i had no idea what that joke was or what a homosexual meant at all and i guess i probably laughed at it but didn't understand why it was one of those ones where you laughed along with other people like well i must yeah. I, I don't think i was particularly mature but i did i did get it okay uh, i think i was just watching too much cable tv because I was, I was living with my grandma at the time we had cable and i was like what's on hbo <laughs> homosexuals was apparently on hbo so yeah and i think at this point in time i remember watching a lot of kids in the hall like as a seven-year-old mm. And I would, oh, yeah. I would like, I would tell my mom about these sketches, and she'd be saying like things like, "Are are you sure you should be watching this?" <laughs> so maybe that's where I learned the the term from, oh, maybe, like watching yeah. Buddy Cole sketches at age seven. <laughs> That'd be the right place to learn. Yeah, that's uh, you know that takes me back to a funny tweet I saw, just saying that uh, part of the gay elder millennial experience was watching HBO Real Sex and hoping it would you'd finally get a gay segment on it because you get like one out of every five was like a gay. Segment segment on it uh but but anyway yes uh here's a crank call hello is homer there how am i ho homer sexual uh, wait one second let me check uh homosexual uh, come on come on one of you guys has got to be homosexual <laughs> <laughs> don't look at me <laughs> uh, no you rotten little punk if i ever get a hold of you i'll sink my Teeth into your cheek and rip your face You'll off. You do what, young man? Why? What? Wait. Who, who is this? I think the real question is who is this and where is Homer Simpson? Whoa, whoa. Sorry, Principal Skinner. Sorry. <laughs> it, it's a bad connection, I think. Guys, for you, I think Bart's in trouble again. Don't! What's he done now? Well, I'm afraid this time the victims are the innocent blades of grass on groundskeeper Willie's award-winning playfield. You know, Henry, it is low-hanging fruit, but I thought the opening line was going to be, is anyone here a homosexual? <laughs> uh, I Well, you know, I'm glad I, I left it alone because uh, that was Drew's uh, possible homosexual. <laughs> I, I, I gave myself backups. I had Kalu Kalei and um, Bottomless Barbecue Pit to go if you, <laughs> you chose for a homosexual. I, I, planned, I planned around that. I was ready to go, don't look at me. No. <laughs> 
that you know that would have been good uh but I, i'm sorry i'm not giving you notes no, no. i was just i was expecting it uh, but you chose a classier route and i appreciate that i love that mo still chalks it up to a bad connection not and he, and he even knows like oh bart must be in trouble again because principal skinner calls a lot but he makes mm. no assumption that it's like bart called him he still can't think of it if it does feel like in a way um they're they're kind of sick of these jokes and this could be the last one they're like what if there's some twist on it and then we're done with these mm-hmm. <laughs> they're getting close to the end yeah yeah the uh and yes this is when homer eyes up skinner as he's talking homer just shuts down he's not hearing what skinner's saying uh and he sees you know all these positives about him he's a handsome guy he's got a job uh he hates the boy uh the only con possible homer sexual and drew i wonder what do you think of of skinner sexuality because i think just based on one joke in the 100th episode about uh, making a pass at his commanding officer and skinner being very comfortable with that that i see skinner as you know a uh, not straight man and uh, though maybe maybe mostly leans towards straight but not straight so it's interesting because at this point i don't think homer's ever been given uh, any information that would lead him to think that skinner's anything other than straight but he suspects it and i guess it's just because he's fastidious and fastidious men tend to read as gay in tv anyway mm-hmm. but um there is also in grade school confidential when they're hiding in martin's tea house and edna says like what kind of boy has a complete like tea set or something and skinner's response is a lucky boy which is a very gay response to that question but then he ends up in a relationship with edna so yeah maybe skinner's uh too dense to explore anything that's going on in his head and he's just act uh answering all these questions uh very off the cuff without thinking about what the ramifications are i don't know <laughs> i like that that tea uh set joke because you think it's going to lead to like a homophobic comment about a little boy mm-hmm. but then it's also it's just a very sweet <laughs> comment like oh he's so lucky to have such a, such a nice tea set to play I wish with i had a tea set as a kid yeah. yeah but also a gay man would think that is a nice thing to have mm-hmm. there are very few straight men who would think it would actually be nice for a little boy to have a tea set or to be jealous of the little boy who had a tea set growing up <laughs> i think homer's uh thoughts there too are like well skinner is they write skinner here with a joke later to be at least in his mid 40s so i i think it could just be he thinks like well he's a single man at this age he's it's you should think he might be gay yeah Mm. no one would blame you for thinking he's gay i love when homer invites him over and and first asks about are you married that should have closed it down but homer is just so blunt that he has to say if you weren't married to your job you tend to go for a girl right like that's i don't know why that says like i'm straight because these pants come off at night just like any others like how that's not a real straight proclamation like Mm -hmm. your pants would come off if you were having sex with men your pants would come off at night too you know it's it's frequently frequently they do (laughs) yes what an an odd remark (laughs) (laughs) but yes this is when homer decides it's time to reel him in but enough about bark tell me principal skinner are you married (laughs) only to my job but if you weren't married to your job you tend to go for a girl right (laughs) (laughs) well of course well these pants come off at night just like everybody else's but uh, tell me why all the questions (laughs) no reason i i you were just wondering if, uh, you know, you'd like to come over to my house for dinner. Go uh, oh, payback for all the crummy things Bart has done to your school. Well, a home-cooked meal would be a nice change of pace. I'd be delighted. Excellent. <laughs> Yes, Homer's classic catchphrase. Excellent. Yes, very Homer. Yeah, I, 
but you talk about these season twos with great acting like this is such like naturalistic in time for like uh, all the bad stuff he did like they and it also does feel like harry and and dan are in the same room too is they're they're playing this off one another so when homer does the excellent you're saying that's not a mr burns joke it's not a joke that Homer's using this Burns catchphrase. This is before it's been established as being a Burns only thing. Yeah, I think I think George Meyer just thought it was funny when characters did that because Jim Downey did it on SNL all the time when he liked something. So okay. I think we I think we might have seen a deal do it before Mr. Burns, and then Mr. Burns did it, and now we're having uh, Bart do it, and then Homer do it to yeah. kind of show that they're similar characters, Homer and Bart, really. But they just like the idea, but it's stuck on Burns to be the character who does that yeah yeah uh yeah it's it's always funny when other when you see other characters pull it off but it's like because it was re- it was so weird in the governor episode earlier this season with burns he does have his fingers steepled because excellent yeah he's like, like excellent yeah. instead of a more sinister tone <laughs> you know when i uh think about episodes with long act ones i don't think of this one but this is a really long act one it's 10 minutes yeah over 10 yeah. minutes yeah. it's uh it's it's yeah it's a big wind up to this very quick release relationship between the two my only real fault with this episode is that uh skinner and patty go from a first date to engagement in like about five minutes so Mm -hmm. we don't spend as much time seeing the evolution of that i guess it doesn't really need it but it is weird to look at the runtime and be like oh we got here very fast i guess you know uh too if they're worried about we don't want to spend too much time away from the core five family members then the first half of the episode really is just the homer adventure of trying to find a man and and then bart doing a prank like that's that you front load it with that stuff so we come back from the break bart is on his best behavior welcoming skinner into his home that also this is just one of those things where it's like oh yeah later in the show they just give away this artifice of like bart would just be like hey skinner you're here like nothing nothing feels special about anybody being in the simpsons home <laughs> I, I do like bart ushering him in quickly so no one will see him because yeah. it's just so embarrassed to have the principal at his house just like get uh, in here i mean i die of embarrassment of having just my teacher over for dinner let alone uh, the the principal like if you ever met a teacher with your mom in the grocery store you're like kill me right now i mm. can't i can't meet this person here mm-hmm. there- i think about the calvin and Hobbes where he says that he just imagines that uh teachers just sleep in coffins all summer <laughs> yes yeah yeah <laughs> Skinner is there. Selma is all dolled up. I do think that this uh, is a reference a little bit. Well, I get the vibes to the Tennessee Williams classic, The Glass Menagerie. Hmm, okay. If you guys are, are familiar with that uh, play, which is about, you know, an unmarried daughter of, uh, who's getting into spinster age and her brother brings home a work friend and he doesn't know he's being set up with her. And so it's, it's all about like the tense dinner party of oh can we can we will he fall in love with her this is her last chance you know kind of thing and so uh that's what this feel i get the Hmm. vibes of that for a little bit but there's there's no twin sister to the uh lead woman in the in that play i would not be surprised if that was a high class uh reference they were making (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh but yes uh selma you know she gets some of the blame for this because if she hadn't if she'd gone for it and actually talked to skinner after everybody went to all this trouble to bring him there if she hadn't been so nervous and talked to him do you think he would have fallen in love with her at first sight or that there's just something about patty that's different from selma that he fell in love with her and wouldn't have fallen in love with selma had he seen her first well patty is closed off emotionally and physically and that would remind him more of agnes as we learn agnes is down the line so it would make sense that he have an attraction for a woman who is completely unavailable as as opposed to a woman who is like desperately wanting to give away love 
Uh, mm. But also, he, Edna is kind of that in her own way. He does fall for Edna eventually, so who knows. I, I think uh, I think the joke is that it shouldn't matter if it's love is first sight. Why does Selma not interest him and Patty does? He mm. just is wired a certain way where it's all about Patty immediately, and he has like he's uh, he's uh, like openly like uh, shrugging off Selma. Like has no interest yeah. in anything she says <laughs> and anything she does. It's all about tell me more about Patty, even though they are identical twins outside of their hairstyles. <laughs> I think the original intention of the joke is that like oh Selma blew her chance. He would have fallen in love with the first of the two twins he saw but I, I i much prefer that he you know is responding to patty's vibe which is different from selma's yeah and w- when they're looking at homer and skinner in the living room uh i'm like what are homer and skinner doing like homer has his arm around skinner and he's like gesturing and i guess he's talking about this bowling certificate he has on the wall so i want to hear that conversation i want to like go further into the room and hear what they're talking about and that's also where there's a slow motion football accident which kirkland mark kirkland on commentary is like we really hate animating slow motion it's a pain in the ass but this uh, one looks better than other slow motion they've done in a very choppy fashion in other episodes of the show it actually looks fairly okay yeah but then graining you can tell he's just kind of annoyed that the 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 player who gets hurt looks like bart that's <laughs> that's the bart hairline yeah. Uh, yeah i like how uh mark kirkland is trying to explain why it's a pain he's just like yeah more drawings and mike Reese is like oh really and then they just move on. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think most of the time being a producer for on The Simpsons, uh, one of the writing producers, you hear something from the animators, you're like, oh, uh, and you pretend to remember it, and then you just continue doing what you were doing. And you're like, who let these below the line people in here? <laughs> Get them out. Uh, but yes, yeah, Skinner meets Patty in our next clip here. He's here. What are you waiting for? Get out there and shake your money maker. I'm too nervous. You do it. No, 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 Simpson, I, I had a discomforting thought on the way over here. This this dinner wouldn't be a master plan of yours to set me up with some unmarried relation, would it? Because I can assure you that I... I... Oh, oh be still, my foolish heart. <laughs> here we go, boy meets beast. <laughs> Principal Skinner? Allow me to introduce you to my wife's lovely and available sister, Selma. Hey, Tubbs, I'm Patty. What? Patty. <laughs> oh, wrong one. You know, I think Homer, he doesn't get it. He gets, he should get credit for being a matchmaker here. He actually did get, uh, you know, one of the sisters a man. Mm-hmm. He, he, fa- he found the right guy for her. Selma wore the S earrings for Homer's sake, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but back in the background there, you could hear the recurring song theme uh, throughout this episode. The love theme of Skinner and Patty. Yes, it's taken from the 1950s musical Hans Christian Andersen, starring Danny Kaye and the song is the inchworm song mm. actually when skinner goes to take uh, patty out for the first time he's singing the prologue to it which is him like doing the mul- multiplication tables but then the uh, theme that theme is used as a leitmotif for uh, their relationship throughout the episode the him doing the multiplication tables as a kid i just read it as oh well he's like a teacher and i guess you have to remind yourself of that all the time if you're a teacher or he's that square he <laughs> yeah. wants to like brush up on the multiplication tables Right. Did you guys watch the clip of the one that's on YouTube of oh, Danny I, Kaye singing this? I've got it right yep. here. Inchworm, inchworm, measuring the marigold. Seems to me you'd stop and see 
How beautiful they are. Yeah, and no explanation as to why Alf Clausen chose this or if it was his idea. They just point out that's what it is. And I think boomers know this more than any of us because I know this because of this episode and also references on Mystery Science Theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, when a character is named Anderson, and it happens a lot because a lot of the movies are about white people, uh, they go, <laughs> Anderson, that's me. And that's from the musical. Uh, and that's all I know. It's like from 1957. It's a uh, color musical. And yeah, that's the only I, facts I know. I believe Danny Kaye sings this song on his Muppet Show appearance. And so that's the only other place I'd heard it. But I've, I've never seen the Hans Christian Anderson movie musical like it looks terrible like i i I watched about like 20 seconds of this and this is one of the worst things i've ever seen and i like old stuff and i have an appreciation for stuff from previous decades i'm like this is absolutely terrible i can't listen to this anymore yeah i i think maybe it was chosen because skinner is in a print he's a principal and it's like a a song that school children are singing so i think that's why it was chosen and it's also a a sweet song (laughs) and skinner is a sweet innocent man no it's a very adorable thing well also it's a guy singing it like with a kid to teach him something and so i guess that that fits totally with like skinner yeah i thought maybe it was a fox production and maybe that's why they had access to using it without paying for it but it wasn't it it was samuel goldwyn productions and rko radio pictures so unless fox acquired that at some point which they might have my explanation for why it was in there might have just been like they had access to it and didn't have to pay for it but Mm. i don't know you know it being an mgm that would tell me that like turner bought it with the mgm collection and stuff for the the goldwyn and stuff so or and same with the rko so could be that that's this is the persisting like memory of inchworm now is it being in simpsons i think the, and yeah and like any movie made before 1980 it's not streaming anywhere of course not right. of course not and, why would you want to watch an old movie i mean watch a better old movie but still yes mm-hmm. yeah uh homer's wrong one and then the reaction shot of skinner clearly done in post adr stuff like but the next shot I love the shot of like, what a great tableau of the whole family. You have Skinner just mooning over Patty, Patty staring at her dinner plate, trying to not like uh, respond to him as little as possible. And Selma looking at the back <laughs> of Skinner's head, like pissed off of like, why aren't you looking at me? And then Marge with this concerned look on her face, like, oh no, it's all going wrong. Yeah. yeah. There's like seven, eight characters in that one little scene, like a four by three oh. uh, shot. It's really well done. Yeah. But not, but not Maggie. No Maggie. Maggie's there, but she, oh, she, uh, she? yeah, she's uh, right the, next to Marge. I think it's the only time we see her. The <laughs> establishing shot of the dinner. I, I I was under the impression that she was completely absent from this entire episode. I must have missed that though. The the whole family is there. The kids are on camera side of the uh, the dinner table. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that three seconds might be the only shot of Maggie unmoving. Just like here's the back of Maggie. <laughs> Uh, yes as skinner gets to know her that as they try they give one more shot to selma but skinner skinner's not having it in this next clip tell me tell me more about your trip to egypt nothing more to tell really the nile smells like cattle rot and they've got horse flies over there the size of your head marvelous just marvelous <laughs> well selma hated egypt too a camel spit on her oh yes i've heard they can be difficult patty the Parents Advisory Board has asked that I attend the premiere of Space Mutants Part 5 tomorrow night. Would you be interested in joining me? I don't really think She'd so. be delighted. 
I'm going to cancel. No, you're not. We already have plans for tomorrow night. Patty, your first date in 25 years is a little more important than playing hearts with mother. I tried to repel him. I really did. <laughs> yeah, Skinner, we find out in season eight that he, until Great School Confidential, is a 44-year-old virgin. Mm. So it feels like this is really the first time he's allowed himself to become smitten. So he's acting like, like a teenage boy in love, where he's uh, just out of control. I mean, how forward of Skinner to ask her out in front of her whole family at the dinner table? Like, that is way gutsier than the Skinner we're used to. Uh, I also, I read Patty and Selma as being in their early 40s. So the first date in 25 years, to me, that sounds like she went on like one date in high school with a guy. And then after that, never again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that checks out. And I also like how they still have their, uh, what I consider a surplus army Jeep. Because they live very economically, so they can afford all these lavish vacations. Uh, I love their hideous car. I also love how Selma's saying, like, we both know it could have been me very easily. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> And, like, uh, what is, I, I don't understand, like, the quite the point of the scene where they're in the Quickie Mart. Is it to establish, like, no, they are different people with their own taste because they have different brands of cigarettes? Is that, like, one way of showing the audience, like, no, these are different people? That's the only explanation I can think of for what that scene was in there for. Mm. We so, were kind of got that anyway, but yeah, I the the only other read I have on it is that Selma doesn't normally buy high tar and that she's feeling extra self destructive, but instead of getting drunk, she wants like mm. the most cancerous cigarette she could get and lottery tickets and lottery <laughs> tickets. Yeah, I, so I do like Apu's response of like smoke them in good health. Like he's <laughs> just a friendly guy. No, but also that who would sell a high tar? Like you can. I I would guess you could get like no filter cigarettes but the fact that something is branded as high tar is <laughs> i wanted to say you pointed out that you called it a surplus army vehicle have you guys talked about how it's like an act that is an actual existent car that they drive i think so yeah uh, is it an army jeep it's a volkswagen thing okay yes yes uh volkswagen the name of the car is the thing right yeah yeah i don't know why that is a thing a thing uh but um yeah it's a it's a very specific choice they gave for them have we seen that car before now or is this the first time we see it i think they pull up to the house uh with uh jackie bouvier in the thanksgiving episode in they, that they car. drive off with jack the mom oh, bouvier right. comes in a taxi but they drive off with her in it they, that is there yeah you're right yeah Okay, But uh, yeah, they, they, I guess too it's just to show a slice of their life well when they drive home they stop at the Quickie Mart to get smokes and lottery tickets that's that's just their normal function uh, Patty and Selma always do that but uh, then boy do we get another first here. Oh boy. What a first one of you wouldn't think when he first appeared would be one of the constants of the series. With uh, it, with entire episodes about him. Yes yeah the, the world's most famous Scotsman I'd say Willie. Save your strength, lad. There's a whole field for you to resort yet. <laughs> Bart, you wouldn't happen to know what sort of candy your Aunt Patty likes, would you? Cherry cordial, sir. No. Very good. Uh, <clears throat> now then, regarding your punishment, do you, do you feel that you've learned your lesson? Have I ever? Just the thought of doing anything bad again just makes my stomach turn. Well, then, you're free to go. Well, Willie... You can take it from here. Adios, dude. You'll be back. <laughs> you haven't seen the last of Willie. It's weird to hear Willie's somewhat restrained and yeah. like just a normal person who's good at groundskeeping. <laughs> He's an award-winning groundskeeper, as we heard earlier. His playfield, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the story behind this, we talked about it before. At, like with the episode with the bowling instructor, they swerve on an accent and it makes a better choice. So the the uh, life on the fast lane was called Bjorn to be wild. And the uh, bowling instructor was supposed to be 
uh, Swedish, right? Uh, so when uh, Dan Castellaneta is in the booth for this episode, they are like, try out accents, because Dan is like, who is this guy? <laughs> and he goes through, uh, the first one he lands on is a Spanish accent. They're like, no, that's too expected. And, you know, I'm glad they didn't choose oh, that yes. one. Yeah. Uh, he goes through a bunch. They land on Scottish. They're like, that's funny. That's an idea we haven't heard before. So like Albert Brooks choosing a French accent for a bowling instructor, Dan choosing a, a Scottish accent really defined this character and his entire like life in history. <laughs> and they thought he was not going to be recurring, but they just loved Dan's performance so much they brought him back. It's one of those ones that once they hear the performance, they're like, well, then we just got to keep bringing this guy back. And it, like, it's the difference between what he is on the page and when they hear the actor, they're like, no, that's not who this guy is. He's there. like, I think Lionel Hutz was a big one of those. Like Lionel Hutz on the page is, you know, sleazy lawyer. Like that's just this thing. But once they heard Hartman's performance, they wrote so many more jokes just to hear that performance say new lines. And I think Willie is a big part of that too. Like the opposite end of that is when they whiff with a character like Jay Lauren Pryor, where they're like, oh, we're going to have Jay Lauren Pryor out all the yeah. time. And, and after two appearances, they're like, this guy's not funny. Yeah. Like, and he yeah. sounds like Mr. Burns. Yes. Yeah. Also, that Willie ends up being like one of the most popular Scottish fictional characters in the world. Like I'd, I'd say Scrooge McDuck ahead of him. But other <laughs> than that, of the of the Scottish people, Scrooge, Willie and then Shrek. Shrek. Right. In that me. order. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the, the people of Scotland, when they think of fat bastards. I wonder. Mm, all right, what, another Scot. What do the Scotch people feel about him? <laughs> but uh, you know, in the rare cases I ever see a cherry cordial in real life, I think of it being Patty's favorite candy. It's I think they're that. disgusting. Yes, I I guess that's the joke that Patty her favorite candy would be the grossest candy that's just like a a chocolate shell around like a slug of like just an ugly can uh, candied cherry. I, I've never enjoyed a cherry cordial. Mm -hmm. I, uh, Drew, feelings? No. no. So this is, um, there's another thing coming up uh, again that like watching this as a kid made me think of something you just encounter in your adult life. And I've never actually seen or had a cherry cordial. I just know they're a thing that exists somewhere. It's a cruel trick when you're a kid. You're like, ooh, chocolates. You bite into one. It's like, my chocolate is bleeding. <laughs> I, I think of the, the world. The world is wicked. <laughs> I, I think buying someone a box of only cherry cordials feels like a prank. Like I, in the limited experience I have with that candy, it's like, I got, I was gifted a box of candy or I might buy a box of chocolates, uh, you know, I'm like, Hey, mm -hmm. when I'm in my sad Patty and Selma phase, uh, Valentine's day chocolates, pretty cheap. The couple days later, I ate a jar of expired olives, <laughs> but, and so in one of those, there might be one or two cherry cordials around an assortment. And whenever I'd get to those, I'm like, Bleh. Yeah, it's like the sour quince log covering up Homer's face, yeah. and who shot Mr. Burns. Which I understand there is no mistaking that a sour quince log is supposed to be anything other than disgusting. But as a kid, I'm like, to people, I, I I was not clear if it's supposed to be a gross joke. Yeah, I I just don't like the weird candied fruit that's in some chocolate. It just tastes nasty to me. I, I don't. I, it's not for me. Skinner obviously knows Bart learned no lesson, but he's mm -hmm. talking himself into it as a way to like get in Bart's ear. And Bart instantly is like, oh, I know the deal here. Now you have to be nice to me because you uh, are in love with my aunt. So I, I can do whatever I want now. This 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 is this is getting too specific. I'm sorry. But like this thing that Bart tells Willie feels like something on a T-shirt like later, dude. Or <laughs> it's like this is what Bart says, right? What does he say? Like, oh, yeah. Sayonara, dude. I think so. here I'll replay it real quick just the end of it adios dude yeah exactly that's on a that's on a hat somewhere right 100 <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
laughing at us, dude. Uh, and uh, so, yes, it's time for Patty to get ready for a date. I'm with Patty, though. Skinner liked her with her upper lip as is. Why mm-hmm. does she got to remove this thing? I don't. Marge may think she looks like Yosemite Sam, but Skinner already loved her with facial hair. So mm-hmm. who cares, you know? It reminded me of the scene when she goes to prom and her mom insists that she has to pinch her cheeks and not use rouge because this is something you just have to do. I think Marge got a lot of that stuff ground into her worse than her sisters did. Yeah, you're right. I think you're I think you're right that Mother Bouvier just <laughs> gave up on them and she's like, I got to put all my feminine views onto Marge. Like that pressure needs to be put onto her. And I, I do like the name of the product before I knew it was a parody. Uh, G, your lip looks hairless is a parody of the uh, late 70s shampoo brand. G, your hair smells terrific. Terrific, which is just it's one of those like i can't believe it's not butter style uh product names where it's just it's perfect but it's also ridiculous uh yes actually i got the clip right here betcha he will that's ridiculous betcha he will don't be absurd he will too Susie, i did not borrow your g your hair smells terrific shampoo so jimmy would notice how good my hair smells oh no i used it to get my hair really clean and shiny like yours and that's the only reason the only reason Gee, your hair smells terrific. Try. <laughs> he said it. He said it. He said it. I I think hygiene standards were changing in the '70s because I remember whenever you watch those like mystery science theater riffs of old hygiene shorts, like remember to wash your hair every two weeks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> At uh, least every two weeks. I'd like to think that that product was named in like uh, response to someone to me like Jesus, your hair smells like shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I love that back then you could have these like a thing called just a sentence like gee your house hair smells terrific it is it is I can't believe it's not butter people kind of really break. like no one really zeroes in on hair as being stinky like whose hair smells in here yeah. yuck <laughs> I, I don't Smok- know smokers hair stinks oh yeah that's true sure but then yeah. their whole body smells like smoke so but that's if- true it retains in your hair is sometimes in a way that it doesn't like you can change your clothes and wa- if you don't like thoroughly wash your hair you can still smell like cigarette head it's gross it's true i i dated a smoker once and i couldn't get past kissing this person because i just thought of my grandma it's like, <laughs> when i kiss you i think of my grandma's house <laughs> uh, it's my problem yeah, but you know yeah. i had to move on <laughs> and uh, this is also the debut of patty and selma's depressing single people's apartment complex which i just love i always love the design of it it's just gray on gray everything's yeah. hideous uh, on the on- soviet it feels like their idea of what like soviet apartments would look like yeah, yeah. like like a brutalist housing complex yes. and uh, mm-hmm. i remember on the commentary mark kirkland says oh yeah like they did the stucco ceilings because when you live in a big cheap apartment you have a stucco ceiling and when i was living in a cheap apartment in 2002 watching the dvd i look up and yeah stucco <laughs> ceiling so yeah i was like uh, i am in a cheap apartment i'm living the patty and selma life Mm-hmm. And Kirkland and his team also wanted to design the hallway to be endless. Like there's no vanish, there's no wall at the end of their hallway. You just see it vanishes into a point. Like there's, it's seemingly like a, a three block long apartment complex. So is this the apartment that in some episode they refer to as being the Spinster Arms apartment? Is I that be- what this is? Okay, that's what this is. I believe post ninety six it was called Spinster City. To reference the the classic oh, Spin right. City covered on Gay's episode ever, right? 
Yep. Uh, and this is where Skinner, while waiting for his time, uh, he's he's singing Inchworm to himself. But the the kid's background part of Inchworm, not not the Danny Kay part. Would you think he'd you'd you'd want if you're an adult, you sing the Danny Kay well, part, not the kid part? The first part is more educational. That's <laughs> true. Is I, he just literally singing squares? Like, is he singing like two times two is four, four times four is sixteen? Is he just like literally naming off like square roots? Uh, well, yeah, but the the multiplication tables is what the kids are singing in the background during the original Inchworm song so he's uh, okay. yeah you yeah. you hear that first and then danny k comes in and sings his song over the uh, the chanting of the, the tables mm-hmm. yeah romantic <laughs> and uh and also like uh, patty's you know dinner outfit looks way better than selma's dinner outfit later like her selma's date night outfit it's like polka dots and very like you know uh curvy and ch- and and cleavagey while meanwhile like patty's actually looks like oh you'd wear this to like an award ceremony or something See, I feel like Patty looks like the mother of the bride at some wedding and uh, Selma's dressed to have fun and showing off like, oh, she's curvy as hell. Like, I actually think she looks really cute in what we're supposed to assume is like a mm, too much outfit. I don't know what the word for mm, that is. Sure, but, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. You well, know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the future, we'll see that they're wearing old Halloween costumes yes, yeah. <laughs> for dresses. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I love that old joke that, that yeah. Selma feels nothing about wearing a slutty, what society would call a slutty outfit. I think she doesn't care. She's like, well, yeah, I got, hey, I got some curves on me. I'm going to show them off. Like, that's how she feels. And I like that. It's a bit peppery for my it's taste. Peppery. That's, <laughs> that's the line right Yeah. Uh, okay. So I got to talk about this. Um, at a certain, So like I was watching Bob's Burgers with my wife and they went to a revolving restaurant. And I was like, you know what? I've had it. I've seen so many revolving restaurant jokes. <laughs> We have to go to one. So I surprise bought her uh, a reservation to the top of Vancouver, which is like the most notable building in the Vancouver skyline because it's a revolving restaurant. So Mm -hmm. I have now been to a revolving restaurant. And you know what? It's overpriced. (laughs) The food is average at best. But the experience of seeing a big city from the top, the novelty value is worth it. And we saw the entire cityscape as the sun was setting. So we saw like all kinds of different lighting. And of course, I looked up to see like, has anyone died in a revolving restaurant? Yes. Children have been crushed to death. Oh, God. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I grew up thinking that revolving restaurants were another thing that was going to be a bigger part of my adult life than it turned out to be. <laughs> but I had trouble thinking about other TV shows that made me think that other than this, this is maybe the only TV show I could actually point to. But also we have one in downtown Los Angeles in the Hotel Bonaventure. It's been a revolving restaurant since the 80s. It's also the setting of that sitcom It's a Living. And oh. I went there before the pandemic and it was magical. And as cheesy as it was, it was like everything I wanted in a restaurant experience. So I encourage everyone to go to a revolving restaurant. It actually is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you're on the same page, Drew, because like I said, you're there for the novelty, but the novelty is worth it. And it is mm-hmm. a, it is a good experience to have. But yeah, uh, the, the most fun part was like when you get up, you're like, oh, the bathroom has moved. Where's the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. I you can also see the places where a child would be crushed. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Nina and I avoided being crushed. We, we survived the revolving restaurant experience to this very day. Man, I got <laughs> I got to join the revolving restaurant club. The next time, I don't think there's one in the San Francisco area. So uh, me and the hubby will look up something else, I think. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, in real revolving restaurants, they don't revolve fast enough for you to see a bunch of jokes. Yes, yes. <laughs> You'd get sick, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, if yeah. you went that fast. I, but, but it sounds like it's a pretty good first date spots uh, uh, Skinner I think picked uh, he has much better taste in a first date for this than he normally would as as he becomes more of the pathetic loser virgin Skinner 
later mm-hmm. on. Yeah, it's good that he chose a movie for the second date because movies are not a good first date. Mm. Because you need time, like FaceTime with the person. You That's know, true, a yeah. movie will give you something to talk about, I guess. But I never liked it as a good first date. That's just Wait, me. So is the revolving restaurant and the movie not one continuous date? Oh, you're right. It is a dinner and a movie thing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they, dinner they, is first. Dinner they do is first. dinner first, yeah. then the movie. Yeah, so it's okay, part yeah, yeah. two of date one. That order yeah. I do recommend. <laughs> Uh, and I also love how uh, Skinner just replies to all her negativity with just smiling agreement. He's just like, yeah, I love she's just complaining the whole time. Anybody else you would you would typically think on a first date if the person you were with is just complaining the entire time and hates everything. That's a bad first date. You know, Skinner is having an unforgettable luncheon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is where Skinner gets to kind of show off a little bit. Two and two are four, four and four are eight, eight and eight are six. Hello. Cherry cordials. I hope you like them. <laughs> yeah, I like them okay. So come on, let's get this over with. <laughs> oh, excellent suggestion. I suggest we start with the Springfield Revolving Restaurant. You know, food tastes better when you're revolving. Yeah, right. Well, I must say, so far the evening is a big disappointment. Indeed. <laughs> Truly terrible. Hey, can we get some service over here? I've asked for water three Tom, times now. Tom. Is everything all right? Well, 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 if it isn't a little Jimmy Pearson. Class of 71, I believe. Uh, good evening, Principal Skinner. Pearson, get this woman a glass of water immediately and tuck in your shirt. Yes, sir. <laughs> Nearly 30 and still working as a busboy. Standardized testing never lies. Uh, you know, the sound design is the first time I noticed how creaky the restaurant is. It's yeah. like the sound of the axle spinning it. It I feels unsafe. It. <laughs> this Jimmy Pearson thing, it sort of works with they haven't yet made uh, Skinner a Vietnam vet. That'll be season three. But were he to have been a POW, it is possible that by 1970 he would have started teaching and he'd know a student from the class of 71. Mm. That's uh, And the guy knows, like, he recognizes Skinner like he was his principal. So if Skinner's in his early 40s and this is 1991, it is possible he'd be. But a 21-year-old, like, or 25-year-old principal yeah. seems unlikely. But. I think maybe they also envisioned him as being an older man mm. back then before he was officially aged uh, in episode in season eight yes. when they just gave him a number. So maybe they thought like, oh, he must be in his 50s based on how he looks and how he does have a toupee. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But they just never talk about it. Oh, that toupee. You, technically, you can go bald way before you're 50. I just want to point that it's out. True, it's true. It's <laughs> true. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no. It's like, like there's nothing wrong with being a busboy in your 30s. Okay. No. No. The, that that either it is interesting that that is what gets a smile out of patty is like him berating this poor kid and i think it is because they're both falling for each other because they remind each other of their mothers who are Hmm. both like harsh unforgiving women oh wow yeah i like i like that 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 Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense for that that does explain why uh skinner falls in love with edna because uh he likes her ability to be personally offended by broad social trends (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> and her tart honesty, which is what Patty has. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it yeah. does. You no, know, it absolutely makes sense that a guy who falls in love with Patty would fall in love with Edna, for sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, then we have a quick cut to Selma clipping coupons with Homer and Marge. I This is so ADR-y. Like every, I, I feel like the original line would have been her saying, thanks for clipping coupons with me. Me and Patty do this every Saturday mm. night or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. but I never really pay attention to the, uh, I've never paid attention to the lack of lip sync because I'm usually very distracted by the bikini girl on the Bancroft <laughs> English muffins. Cause it's just so random. I am like, what the hell? <laughs> Every time. I, I do like the, uh, the sweats on, uh, Selma just to make her even more like frumpy and yeah. just like, I'm in for the night. I'm wearing my sweats. I got in college. This is just like an indoor night clipping coupons, being very domestic. That's a great design, yeah. Yeah, and that she's... And also that she describes like, oh, this is why Patty is seen as more desirable than me. And it's like, you are literally identical. Like that's <laughs> right. so, And bosoms till Tuesday. Skin like a China doll. <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah, Patty and Selma are equally stacked. She, <laughs> she shouldn't feel... Yeah. We learned that Patty is two minutes younger, too. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, then Homer is just set up with an easy thing like, oh, plenty of fish in the sea. Too bad you got the wrong bait. Or you don't have any bait. So mm-hmm. then we head to Space Mutants 5. This is the second to last time we're going to see a Space Mutants movie in the theater. Uh, and the, the sixth time will be in Colonel Homer. Mm-hmm. But when they show that, uh, that will be a reuse of the footage from this. Right. Okay. But in Bart's Friend Falls in Love, they actually do watch a new Space Mutant, seemingly Space Mutant 7. So that's uh, and that's the final time you'll see a Space Mutants in, in the theater that they watch. It does make sense because by the early 90s, we were reaching the end of the Friday the 13th and the um, Nightmare on Elm Streets and Halloweens and stuff until they were revived like in the late 90s or early 2000s. So mm-hmm. the jokes were getting kind of stale. I think the Australian setting to this of this one is a reference to what they talk about in the Australia episode mm-hmm. where Evan Conover talks about americo australianian <laughs> relations and how like the aussies thought that the american infatuation with australia was going to last for a long time but it was really just this brief span of time and it's probably like a general reference but also there is a howling movie it's either the third one or the fourth one where they go to australia and there are werewolf marsupials it's not a great film. <laughs> do, my, do, do not do not watch it my god well like when crocodile dundee came out it made an incredible amount of money. It was made for nothing. So everything was starting to take place in Australia. Then Crocodile Dundee 2 came out and made an incredible amount of money. So like there was like a maybe a five or six year trend in America. I was the perfect. My dad's from New Zealand. So this is about as close to any sort of representation as <laughs> oh, uh, wow. New Zealand would get. So this was these were all a big deal in my growing up and like got grounded to me especially hard uh, compared to like non down under descended kids. They they ran out of Dundee, so they even released things like Young Einstein, uh, and that yeah, made money. Shot, yeah. <laughs> uh, also, I like that the movie they're watching it's laid out the exact same as the scene in Telltale Head yeah. where they watch mm-hmm. it, except they just say Australian specifics of. Uh, I just think that poor dingo back there is probably just a wallaby. Uh, and so one could think that this is the first appearance of squeaky voice team 
scene because a teen mm. in front of them uh goes like yawn and puts his arm around the girl and the yawn definitely sounds like dan castellanetta doing his teen voice but it's such like a just quick it's a noise it's not even a yeah. line and it's not drawn to look like squeaky voice teen uh yeah i pause it we must hear the squeaky voice not yeah. a squeaky grunt right i i think it is then that the first appearance of squeaky voice teen counts as at mount splashmore the guy saying roger like that yeah. that's the first squeaky voice teen there's a lot of first in this episode without giving it to, to the squeaky voice teen so mm -hmm. yeah they were good yeah <laughs> uh and uh, so that's when patty actually gets at first she tells him like don't be stupid i love how she's like don't be stupid like uh but then once she actually does get scared hello dolly you know, Skinner, no means no, Skinner. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, there, there's uh, some like early 90s sexual politics happening here. Yes, yeah. That he's, it's it's the end of the date. He thinks he's entitled to a kiss. He says, I don't have cooties. And then she hits him with a Miss Piggy, hi ya. Yeah. And uh, which I like the way he's drawn and slumped. He broke his neck. He, she has yeah. killed him. Like, yeah. the, the quick animation reminds me of in the uh, cable episode when uh, Homer throws Moe into the living room and burns at the door. Yes. He just flies across the room. It's very uh, snappy animation. You know, it implies, too, that as part of Patty's all her free time, she also took, you know, self-defense classes. And she just can, like, just did a, <laughs> of a man gets even closer. She's, I just, you know, especially when she says to Skinner, Skinner, you're touching me. Oh, come on. Like that's that was your warning, buddy. Like you've uh but but then she pities him slumped on the ground like that, I guess. <laughs> and uh, you know, this is also the word microwave cookery, a favorite of the Simpsons. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Her microwave, which who takes a class on my, how to cook with a microwave. It's, that's, uh, uh, that's the joke. I know. They're but. being developed as characters. They're not only going on vacation. They take a, like adult and uh, learning annex classes too. Yes. Mm -hmm. They're just filling their lives with whatever they can to get over them being single, allegedly. Although it is nice that like if we're going with the Patty is asexual reading of this, it's nice that like she got time away from Selma for like 10 minutes and she's actually seeing there's something nice about spending time with someone who's not your identical twin sister. And like she almost is into it until he tries something physical with her and then she's like please please don't do that why'd you ruin this nice night by trying a physical thing yeah we i thought yeah. i made it pretty clear i'm not out into that yeah. but but yeah you know probably for her you know if if we're trying to reconcile this with patty as a gay woman as a lesbian then you just i i like that explanation that's you know she has spends no time with anybody and just having a a, a friendly night out with anybody else feels mm. novel to her yeah mm. and that's why i think later when she accept like she decides i'm going to kiss him and enjoys it i i wonder if that's just her just you know the entire weight of the expectation of heterosexuality onto mm. her she's just like fine i'll give it a shot all right i'll kiss this guy i'm friendly enough with him let's try a kiss he wants it fine like that that's my reading on yeah it. just like well i wonder what this is like let's mm -hmm. let's see what what this is feels like and mm. she's not really into it that is something most non-heterosexual people do do at some point or if not several points in their life where they're just like okay fine let's see this, could I, can i make this work no i'm expected to and hey i haven't i haven't actually kissed a person of the opposite sex yet maybe mm -hmm. i will like it i don't know so we learned that's how piggy hill lost her virginity yes yeah <laughs> uh i love i love her description of their her night with that man i love that <laughs> like the, the especially when she said they had to move aside a whole lot of pillows off of his decorative bed. throw pillows decorative throw pillows <laughs> 
the we get a little like love montage of them slowly falling in love and bart hitting skinner with an egg and uh selma sadly in her springfield u sweats looking at all the photos they they had from going around the world frowning in every photo i love that <laughs> And like a very a very cute shot of uh, a Skinner pushing Patty on the merry-go-round at the school. Yeah, just like sweet. no no yeah. joke there. She doesn't get sick or anything. It's just like they're having fun. They're having a frolic. Yeah, she actually seems to be enjoying what's happening, and there's no weird baggage. There's no bitterness going on there. She's just happy to be doing something. It's a very sweet scene, actually. I think it's probably the first time she's been drawn smiling in the entire <laughs> series. I think. Like I think not right. not meanly at something that was said at homer or something not in yeah. reaction to like being mean yeah yeah the, the also though the act two ends with just like them kissing and selma feeling bad and then oh is that when they're kissing and like you get the fisheye lens it's yeah. a very funny drawing yeah. Yeah. i love it's that a really really unappealing kiss it still breaks selma's heart but like lol she's sad because she thinks she'll never be married yes yeah even though she'll she'll, she'll have more marriages than she knows what to do with but yep Uh, And yes, uh, we then get another callback of Bart doing graffiti. He gets caught with it, but this time Skinner's totally fine with it. In fact, he thinks the crude drawing of a woman reminds him of Patty. (laughs) Yeah, I do. Like, I wish there was a a little sound effect when she winked at him, but Uh, uh, I do like when her face materializes on the the, the crude woman with the huge boob drawing that that Bart does. An oddly sexual graffito tag from Bart. Yeah. Right, right, right. Also, it's not... it's not a terrible likeness of Patty. I know that's not what he's going for, but like you could have been further off from Patty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and this is when Skinner does something an adult really shouldn't do, which is tell a child first that he's going to ask his aunt to get married. Like no child keeps a secret. You can't tell a child. You're like, oh, I'm about to propose to this woman that, you know, like the kid's going to tell before you do. Mm-hmm. But Skinner's that excited, I think. He's mm-hmm. just like, He can't oh, keep boy. the news from anyone. <laughs> yeah, who, who else is he going to tell? He doesn't have any friends. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And, and I love Bart is his best friend, as we'll learn later in the series. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I love Bart's reaction. Like, you're a funeral, Seymour. Like, Bart, Bart is adult enough to know that uh, most people would view marrying Patty as a mistake <laughs> or not good. Like, yes. Uh, so then comes another of my, my favorite, favorite lines. You're making happy hour bitterly ironic. Like, I love that line so much. It's really a happy half hour at most, though. Uh, but uh, but yes, Bart Bart's helping Skinner, and Barney isn't picky in this next clip. <clears throat> uh, Bart, I hate to pull you away from your daily exercise, but, well... I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm going to ask for your Aunt Patty's hand in marriage. Your funeral, Seymour. Homer, lighten up. You're making happy hour bitterly ironic. Oh, Mo, I gotta find a date for my big, fat, snotty sister-in-law, Selma. Hey, I'm intrigued. What does Selma look like? I like my wife's ugly sister. Wheel her in, Homer. I'm not a picky man. See now, this is Homer just going like, "I look, I gotta find another guy." Fuck it, Barney, you're here. His RoboCop vision is failing him. Yes, yeah, he's giving up on it. When he belches, does something fly out of his mouth? Is it a fly or is it a tooth? I Some... think it's spittle. I saw it as uh, a big okay. glob of spit. Yeah, I was yeah. wondering what it was, uh, but uh, yeah, I was hoping it wasn't a tooth. <laughs> uh, Barney is at his worst than this. Like he is covered in sauce. Uh, he can't tuck a shirt in. There are flies following him. Yeah. 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 I, I also love that one when Homer describes her as big, fat, snotty sister-in-law, Barney's like, I'm intrigued. Like, <laughs> hey. 
Barney would be lucky for a night with Selma. Like that would be, he's, he is, he is, he isn't worthy of her. I know Homer and Marge have a fight after this of like, are they equals or not? And, and no, she's better than Barney. Her house is not a train wreck. She is not an alcoholic. She, she has uh, income and a steady job. Like she's, she's better than Barney. This, Mm -hmm. uh, this sets up a weird thing with Barney and, uh, Patty and Selma. Like that's carried through in a few episodes in which, like, um, isn't Barney maced by uh, Patty? Twice, yeah. yeah. First in uh, War of the Simpsons, he sees her at the party. He's like, I remember you, but I remember you being so beautiful. Yeah. And then it gets maced after that. And then the second time is when they have the Mary Tyler Moore haircut. He's like, are you Mary Tyler Moore? Like, it is so, you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah, like, uh, a, like, there's a weird runner where Barney remembers uh, Selma and Patty yeah. and gets maced by patty twice uh yeah i think patty yeah does, yeah i think i'm looking yeah. and patty does have the mary tyler moore haircut in this uh in, in uh, saturdays <laughs> of thunder that is another uh that episode is another one where they have like a gender joke about patty because she's looking at the pictures in a magazine she's like i want that hairstyle and marge looks and she says ed asner her initial yeah. response, oh she yeah she ed asner's haircut she's like no mary tyler moore <laughs> marge is more like i didn't read it you're so right that's yeah. marge reading it first of like oh you want to look like ed asner now, I guess that makes sense. Like, no. Uh, I like that uh, the Barney runner is so good, too, because it does feel very like realistic. Like you could imagine you set up a friend with another friend once and they it didn't work out. And then you're both still in the same social uh, mm-hmm. world. So the guy you'd have a party and the, the guy would go up like, hey, you know, that first date maybe didn't go so well, but let's try again. Let's give it another shot. God. Yeah, it is. It is Patty. And is she the one who uh, no, I think it was Selma who bought stock in uh, pepper spray before society collapsed? That's, yes, that's right. <laughs> so yeah. a lot of jokes about pepper spray and Patty and Selma in these early years. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but yeah, then we have a quick cut to the family jewels uh, g- jewelry, which uh, Abe Simpson's not happy with that name. No, yeah, but family jewels. Uh, but uh, the the apparently the accepted rule of thumb for an engagement ring is that it's two months salary, not two years. That's well, the, that's the joke. I think Skinner uh, doesn't make that much money. No, no, he's two years salary for Skinner probably still. Well, it's established in season twelve. He makes thirty thousand dollars a year, I believe, is is, is uh, his salary. So uh, it'd be a sixty thousand dollar engagement ring. I, I had a life hack with my engagement ring, and that my, uh, my I got my grandma's wedding ring. Oh, nice! And so cha ching. <laughs> uh, so if you have a dead grandma, see where her <laughs> ring is. If your grandma's alive, you know what to do. <laughs> This is not an endorsement of grandma murder. Uh, no, no. I I like, too, that Bart is able to pressure him into, a, like, see more. Because Bart just wants him to spend his way into debt. And mm. To me, it was implied that uh, Skinner bought Bart that ice cream. Oh, totally. Because uh, Bart yeah. is making the most of this this connection. Uh, I, I like to... I hope that Skinner was able to return that ring. I really hope he could get his money back for that engagement ring. I really love this bit here of, like, Marge is so pissed off that homer even like the way kavner plays this scene of like you barney no like she's just like no no way uh someone should know barney though because like they all went to high school together and if patty and selma remember homer from high school they probably were around barney at some point too but i guess barney was less of a mess back then i think maybe patty and selma are like six or seven years older than marge 
because um, uh, they're still living at home when she goes to the senior prom. And if Marge is 34 and they're at least 40, they probably didn't have a lot of overlap in terms of their school. Oh, you're right. I guess I imagine that they were closer in age, but you're probably right. But uh, but Homer is, you know, well, we all know that they didn't have a wedding that they yeah. met at. But uh, you would think at some function previously, Selma would have been in the same room with Barney. But yeah, I just uh, but yes, here's here's Selma accepting her fate after getting the worst news she could get. <laughs> Homer, my sister is not going out with Barney Gumble. Hey, Selma's no prize pig herself, you know. Oh. Bart. Come cheer up your Aunt Selma. Okay. What did you learn in school today? Principal Skinner's gonna ask Aunt Patty to marry him. <laughs> Thanks, kid. <laughs> you made my day. But nothing, Marge. She's a heifer, plain and simple. And, oh, there's the little prom queen now. Can the sweet talk, you're right. It's time to ash can my girlish hopes and dreams and grab hold of the next train out of the station. <laughs> uh, uh, Bart having no emotional intelligence at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just uh, uh, before we the ashing is just so good. I wanted yeah. to ask both of you, how do you feel about uh, Discount Meat Hut being next to the Family Jewels? Oh, that's good. I, I, oh, I missed that. I didn't that. think about that. That is good. <laughs> I just connected the two in my head. So <laughs> That's good stuff. That's no accident. No, I... Uh, I just, uh, you know, as plotting, it's really good that like Selma has to learn this now because she probably would have said no to Barney otherwise, especially the way Homer's talking about her. But finding out that Patty will be proposed to and she will likely say yes, that's when she is just like, I'm just done. You know what? If you got a date with Barney, I will do whatever it takes to make it work because I need someone. I can't be alone. That makes it 10 times more heartbreaking. And she's like, just the way she says, Ash can my girlish <laughs> dreams and give my love away. Like, oh, so, so sad. Uh, I like how this interaction with Bart kind of mirrors the interaction with Lisa earlier where they both say devastating things that like force her down a path that she doesn't really <laughs> want to go down. Yeah, it's yeah. true. The the harsh honesty of children, the brutalness of a child, makes her rethink her entire like life too. Yeah, I yeah probably you know if I'm Patty before meeting Skinner, I'd have just told her like we've got a good thing going here. Why why are you, you know, letting some kid make you feel bad that you're not married? Like let's let's just keep this uh, twin thing going. All right. Yeah. Even though Homer is a jerk, uh, he's more human in these seasons. So I, I do like how uh, he then will play along with uh, hooking up uh, Selma and, and flatter her in an unconvincing way. But yeah. still, ring-a-ding-ding, is that Selma? Yeah. Wow. Uh, take it to the hoop, Selma. Yeah. Oh, yeah he's... So, like, future Homer would not, he would just not care and insult her continuously. Yeah, but he wouldn't show yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, he wouldn't He wouldn't go to their apartment. Where where is That's where he reacts to her, like, coming out in her new outfit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that Selma is just like, ah, can it? Like she, she, she actually would wish Homer was being meaner to her. Him being nice shows that's how much he pities her, and it, yeah. it actually is more <laughs> hurtful. But yeah, she's also going. She's wearing a very aggressive dress uh, for this date. Uh, she's she's really trying to make it work. She reminds me of Wendy Okupa. If like Wendy Okupa <laughs> had like a human version of herself, I think that's what she would look like. Mm -hmm. An yeah. adult Wendy Okupa would wear that dress. Yeah, she needs yeah, like the big ring sure. earrings though. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, uh, Barney in this scene, uh, according to the commentary, uh, James O. Brooks was like very upset by the fact that a fly was buzzing around Barney. 
because it's like well that's so that's so broad yes yeah mm. it is it's a little corny i like that the fly physically occupies space though and can be slammed behind the door like it's left there i mean it's mm. bad enough that barney has like his his uh tie tie when well, he's tucked in his shirt but it's coming out through his open fly as well like and <laughs> look then it, what i brought <laughs> schnapps like yeah that he's, is, he's surprised <laughs> is he so drunk that he didn't know what he bought <laughs> i guess uh who <laughs> dressed him too did homer dress him or did he actually think like well time to pull out the suit for date night <laughs> he was already wearing it he, he just had it on all right for reasons he doesn't remember <laughs> he went to bed in that uh, yeah <laughs> Patty witnesses this and she's just like, oh, God, my sister has given up like this is her heart is broken by this. And uh, this is when we then get uh, it's ADR. But Patty fully uh, Patty brings up the stakes of like, yeah, my sister's on a date with a rummy. And he's like, oh, that's too terrible. Anyway, let's. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and when you see the establishing shot of the um, the school with the bell tower, it looks like so uh, just plopped on there, like Sim City or something just happened, <laughs> it, where it doesn't belong at all. Like you never saw this this bell tower sticking out of the school before or since, but it's like a different architectural style completely. It's like yes, uh, we built it for a parody. They're going to go back there now. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, quite a, a bonus. Uh, this is another pro in the Skinner column. He's he carries her up like to like five flights of stairs. Mm -hmm. like he's this is a strong man uh, like he's he's got so many positives for him i'm surprised there wasn't a second parody in which a nun scares patty and she falls <laughs> to her death uh spoilers by the way i'm sorry i think they were like priming us to think that like someone was gonna get tossed out of that bell tower and then they just don't which i guess is itself a joke that like if you got the reference, you were expecting things that just do not happen at all. <laughs> I will say, like, the show is mostly kind to Patty and Selma, but they are making a kind of a fat joke with Skinner. Yes. It's either, I mean, you could read it as Skinner being weak, but it's definitely like Patty is not the kind of woman that he should be carrying around. Yes. No. Well, also treating her in such a dainty way is kind of a joke yeah. about how unfeminine she is. Yeah, I... Uh, yes, Skinner surprises her by writing Marry Me Patty in the lawn, ruining it once more, much oh, worse than Bart did. Julie Kavner screaming in this room. You could just feel the room. Marry me, Patty! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it stuck with me forever. Like, geez, I'm crow. Look at the size of that rock. Like, just the way I... Just her expression of Jesus Crow, like I didn't even take it as, you know, a replacement for saying Jesus Christ, but it's just such a great Jesus Crow. Like what a great word. Like, ah, I love it. But but yes, Patty, she's intrigued, but she she has to let Skinner down. <gasps> Marry me, Patty. Jesus Crow, look at the size of that rock. <laughs> It's the second most precious jewel in this bell tower. Patty, the question before you is, will you marry me? Mm, Seymour, I, mm. I don't know. I mean, I, this is so... Oh, uh, just say whatever's in your heart. Okay. You see, it's not that I don't love you. You love me! Kalukalay! <laughs> yes, yes, but... But? But? But I'm a twin. And as such, I have a special... Special tie to your sister. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the only man I could marry would have to understand... That you, you couldn't leave your sister for any man. Oh. Yes. So I know you appreciate why you can never... See you again? Exactly. Mm. It's uh, kind of a catch-22. Farewell, my patty cake. Good night, sweet principal. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's a sweet scene. Uh, it's better to know now in retrospect that they do have love in their future, but it is mm-hmm. also very bittersweet because uh, the status quo for them is not great. Mm-hmm. Maybe Patty thinks she's happier alone, but maybe there are things about herself she doesn't realize yet. And maybe Skinner thinks, you know, being devoted to work is fulfilling, but he doesn't know that he needs love in his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like she's regretful about the entire thing and he's understanding about her uh, decision that they can't be a couple anymore. So they're both respectful of each other's hard choices, but they both feel like shit at the end, which is what good entertainment is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, that's what feels so Brooksy about this, that it is a way to return to a status quo because you can't, Patty can't get married and Skinner can't be married into Bart's family. Like that's a huge status quo change that in season two, they're not going to do. So you have mm-hmm. to go back to normal and so how do you write a scene for that and that's what brooks is so good like he's a sitcom master at this point he's like oh i know how to write a great scene between two people that explains why they don't move forward in the natural progression of their lives which is like marrying a person you love uh, but and it, I also love that it's an interplay of Skinner completing her sentences, which shows he understands her so well. Mm-hmm. The speech she's going to give is actually kind of like most people would not assume that's how they're going to be turned down. But that he understands her that well. But that's why he ha- she has to leave him because he understands her that well that she can't stay like mm. yeah. and they do it all in like 30 seconds yeah Something, yeah it yeah. wraps up very very quickly but it doesn't feel really all that forced it feels like very believable Something I was thinking about, uh, because it's funny to think about continuity in The Simpsons, where whenever uh, Homer's in the Quickie Mart, you have to think, well, he and Apu were in a band together, and they (laughs) recorded gold (laughs) records, and were like merchandise and stuff like that. So I was thinking, like, I don't think Skinner ever talks to Patty or Selma again in the history of the show, not just in terms of referencing the relationship, but just like, I don't think they ever share a scene again. Maybe they're in the, like the same town hall, but it's never like, hello, Patty, I'm Skinner. Yeah. They never like have a uh, uh, like an inter- like an exchange with each other. Well, it's also mm. funny to well, now that you brought that up, it's funny to think of like Skinner comes to dinner being treated as this new thing when March just go like, well, of course you traveled the country for that whole summer yeah. when you guys were the hit band, the B Sharps. <laughs> you know Skinner pretty well, you, so of course you. Well, you should also know he's not gay. You spent months with Skinner yes. in the eighties. <laughs> you both sold a th- five hundred thousand. You wrote songs with Seymour Skinner in the, in the yes, uh, the, but but that episode ends with them yeah. fully saying like these are questions for another day. L- leave them alone. The, the interplay too is just so great. Like Harry. Uh, Shearer and Kavner don't do many scenes together, not a ton compared to most other people in the show. So having them act off each other works really well, too. I will say uh, possible spec script for The Simpsons. Uh, I'm going to mail this to myself, so please don't steal it. Uh, because they like to revisit things now in season 32 or 33, uh, of course, Marsha Wallace is dead, which means there's no wife for Ned. There's no there's no uh, girlfriend for Skinner. Let's. Mm-hmm let's find someone new for Skinner. Mm. I think there's still more to be told there. Yeah, I agree. Perhaps yeah. Selma. So, or Miss Hoover. Yeah. That's my two picks. You said you were wondering if there was an ever an interaction between Patty and Selma and Skinner after this, and I can't think of one where they talk to each other, but now that I think about it, and I didn't bring this up in my podcast, but it's worth pointing out, when Patty is getting married to Veronica, 
Skinner and Agnes are there in the congregation. And it's not everyone in Springfield. It is a bunch of characters we've never seen before, presumably representing Patty's girlfriend's side. And then it's like the Bouviers, the Simpsons, Sideshow Mel, and then Skinner and Agnes. And that's it on Patty's side. So uh, mm. it's nice, at least, that in my head canon, she would have invited Skinner to her gay wedding. Interesting. I, I think with a choice like that, somebody, either a writer or a layout artist or someone, decided like, oh, no, Skinner should be here. They have a history together. They do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hope so. I, I thought that was the idea. And Skinner would only be happy for her. He's like, I'm so glad you found love in your life. Yeah. I. Well, I also think it's sad, you know, in retrospect that Patty does this. When Selma multiple times is like, well, I'm moving out. I'm getting married. <laughs> yeah. See you later. Which which is brought up in that marrying uh, something about marrying episode. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I also forget, like, in the episode with Troy McClure, is is her separation from Patty like a, um, a point of contention at all? Or do they just not cover that? You know, in the Sideshow Bob one, she says, like, oh, tell me what I want to hear. Like, oh, I'm mm. so jealous. I'm aching with jealousy. Like, so they commented on it there. Uh, do you recall, in, uh, Drew, in the in the it's yeah the no, all, one? all the all the animus in that episode is between marge and selma i don't remember patty saying anything that like criticizing or like trying to keep selma from pursuing this relationship uh with troy hmm. yeah uh, but, uh, boy i'm i worry the pot uh, <laughs> someone will tell us we're wrong about this but uh, if please commenters if we're missing a scene just let us know i i welcome mm-hmm. that yeah but uh, uh and but you, you know i've been too in the past, in previous episodes of Seasons, where we find out that James L. Brooks rewrote the ending, and I think, like, in Dancing Homer, it, it kind of sucks, and uh, and also in Bart Gets Hit by a Car, I think it kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. But in this episode, and in Way We Was, which he also uh, heavily rewrote in the third act, because those actually have emotionality to them and needed emotionality for yeah. the story they're telling, they actually work really well, and he, he I think, improved those scenes by rewriting them. Yeah, and I think in some cases, like in Dancing Homer, he came in too late to fix it, and that's why they had to like ma- like chop it up and like use animation in an unconvincing way to tell a story that it was never meant to tell, and that yeah. makes it a lot weaker. Uh, and so then, just as randomly as they had a Vertigo reference before, Skinner then is framed like the end of Gone with the Wind, as Scarlett O'Hara, uh, you know, says that uh, she'll never go hungry again. The uh, yeah, tomorrow is another day. Yeah, tomorrow yeah. is another school day. Uh, the funniest Gone with the Wind reference is the uh, the trampompoline fatalities. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's that's the best. But yeah. It's again i've i i don't think i've seen gone with the wind all the way through ever like even it was uh in our childhoods growing up it's like gone with the wind one of the most important movies no one will ever forget and now it's like it's kind of nothing i mean it's problematic in ways which is that's oh, yeah. why people don't go back to it all that much yeah i i have not seen it i will never see it it's just there's a million other movies that are more worth my time than that, so. <laughs> but in this case uh it's a happy ending for some characters Springfield Elementary, I will have you back again. After all, tomorrow is another school day. And then when they got out of the service, the, uh, well, the next few years are a blur. <laughs> Patty, where's Skinner? We decided we loved each other enough never to see each other again. I hope I can find a man like that. <laughs> Patty. Are you throwing away your last chance at happiness just for me? Yes. Oh, thanks. Now let's go get some pancakes. <laughs> uh, listen, Barney, I... Uh... 
<laughs> she broke my heart, Mom. Don't worry, Barney. Time heals all wounds. Well, what do you know? You're right. And look, a whole picture to myself. I told you you'd be back. <laughs> Willie gets that last line. Yeah. Set uh, over like a, a frozen image <laughs> of him with his arm in the air. <laughs> and I, I wrote this down in my notes, but uh, in some of the scenes at Moe's, I think almost all of them, they are still doing the thing where they're playing uh, music in the background, not by Alf Clausen, like either a library track or a licensed song. Before the joke was, you'll hear the song. It's a chipper song that will contrast with the depressingness of Moe's. Mm. Uh, but now I think it's just like it's so low in the mix. You can't even tell what it is, but they're still putting in like a radio is playing or something like that at Moe's. I didn't, I didn't even hear it. Until isolating the audio for this right now, I never noticed the music in these sequences. Like they were so so low in the mixer. I I think too when it's uh, coming out of like my TV speakers and not yeah. headphones. Like I just I just hear the dialogue in, in when they have the music that low. But. And I, I think like before you would hear Patsy Cline music or I've Got You Babe or whatever. But now yes. it's just like yeah, you can't even hear it unless you have headphones on. So why bother putting this in the mix? And I, I love all the acting there, like the way she goes, yes, yeah. thanks. <laughs> I guess like, uh, like, Again, like uh, one woman talking to herself. Uh, and what else do you say when you ask somebody like, are you throwing away your one last chance at happiness for me? And the person doesn't lie for your feelings. It's go like, yes. <laughs> you, what else can you say? But like, thanks. And pancakes are the perfect way to chase depression. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I also love that Selma at first treats Barney like a person. And then she's like, eh, <laughs> why, why even be polite? It's like He's not even sober enough to let down easy. He yeah. won't, he won't even retain any of this information. <laughs> oh, him saying like the last, uh, the next few years, kind of a blur. <laughs> I mean, Patty knows too, that like she, is saving her from Barney like she doesn't she probably thinks like don't have sex with Barney I bet you'll have sex with Barney tonight at the very least right. don't don't do that you'll regret it I think we're supposed to view it on some level as sort of a sad ending in that Patty gives up a chance at love which like there's all these like maybe she's gay maybe she's asexual we don't know what's going on in her head at the point but um I think her rescuing Selma from Barney is a very sweet ending and then them going off to have pancakes and like I think a lot of people viewing it have like the default mindset of like oh like they're not gonna find like romantic love that sucks but like their life is like not terrible they get to go on vacations together mm -hmm. and they both understand each other really well and seem to like each other a lot so happy ending yeah they, i think so they haven't even entered into the their macgyver phase of characters <laughs> yet and find, yeah. find that together they'll yeah. both lust after richard dean anderson and eventually <laughs> kidnap him in like season 15 oh yeah and they'll yeah. both find love and i remember on the commentary mark kirkland says he remembers watching the the color screening of the animation and willie says i told you to be back and the entire crowd was like yeah goodbye willie we'll never see this character <laughs> ever again you're never coming back and willie. then uh willie is a beloved you can buy an action figure of willie now so mm -hmm. many willie yeah. action figures yeah I, you know it's it's uh, Barney, Barney happy with his picture. Like he's like, oh, hey, I got the picture all to myself. Like that, that's sweet even for him. He's just like, oh, hey, look at that. I, a door, door is opened. I have a whole pitcher of beer that I don't have to share with anyone. Uh, and 
I also think, though, that it's a very season two move that despite the fact that you have a natural ending with Patty and Selma, that they're like, no, the final shot has to be Bart. And the Bart scene is really just important to show that Skinner's back to normal, too, and he's back to giving Bart shit. I wonder if in their original uh, sequencing of scenes, they would have ended in Moe's bar instead of going to a Bart shot. But for this time, you know, especially for the nine-year-old boys watching at home like me, uh, to give us a scene of Bart to just <laughs> remind you, like, see, Bart's still in here. Yeah, you haven't seen Bart in a while, but there's Bart. That part did bum me out as a kid. I'm like, oh, poor Bart, because uh, Skinner, <laughs> like, uh, just ripped the grass out of the entire play field that Bart now has to ski by hand. It is Skinner's mm-hmm. fault that he's having to do that. Yeah, that's true. Well, Patty broke his heart. Yeah, <laughs> he's got to take it out on somebody. It's true. But yeah, that was, uh, it's a sweet episode. I like mm-hmm. and to explore Patty and Selma. Uh, you know, there's now ways to talk about it and, and view it that were different than the author intent in 1991, just because yeah. of how they'd, they change up both characters going onward but mm-hmm. i i i do like the just that patty chooses celibacy like that's why and that it was just her going the one time she decided well, i'll try dating someone eh it almost worked out but I, i'm not really feeling it you know and i i feel like she kisses him once like i don't think they had a physical relationship no. that much anyway yeah yeah like this made me realize uh how much i miss patty and selma especially uh we're going through the scully years i think they just had no interest in patty and selma and then when al Jean took over in season 13 i think he did want to bring them back mm. and we saw a lot more of them but for a long time i think uh homer versus patty and selma was like their finale for like five or six <laughs> years before they just kind of went away outside of like background jokes and, and mean-spirited jokes some of which were kind of funny but uh yeah like i do miss these characters i, I like them and i love skinner and it's a sweet episode and again it's a very important episode for the show because they said what if the show was not about the family uh not about the core family so they were able to get away with this and this would lead to a lot more episodes in the future where it's like the sequel to uh one of these styles of episode is uh fish called selma in which it's like selma and troy mcclure so yeah. it's like another bouvier sister and another side character having their own story with the simpsons on the sideline mm-hmm. yeah and um skinner who became like patty and selma might have gone away for a while but skinner never left the show this is actually a very important skinner episode in getting us an idea of how he functions sort of outside the uh principal mindset although he's never that far from it in this episode <laughs> but um ideas of him being like a man child and a little broken uh we get a lot more in this episode and it's kind of nice mm-hmm. totally agree yeah as yeah. a skinner fan we're seeing uh true skinner start to emerge mm-hmm. coming out of his shell <laughs> but thank you so much for being on the show drew please tell us all about gayest episode ever and how we can support your show and what could be coming around the bend here actually we are now in october so it's possible that uh you are in production right now on hot new episodes so, uh, yeah, we are coming back from a hiatus at the end of summer and we'll be doing our regular episodes. In October, we actually have some fun um, Halloween stuff planned for the entire month. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be taking an exception to what we normally do. And that'll be a surprise. But uh, if you like talking about sitcom history, I think you'll love these episodes. We'll just be a little, little less gayer than normal. Uh, gayest episode ever looks at gay episodes, uh, LGBTQA plus episodes of classic sitcoms, uh, gayestepisodeever.com. If you want to listen to us and then... Uh, during the summers, which is when we're recording this, 
uh, we are going to be running um, a little side feature that's going to be looking at gay episodes of classic cartoons. Uh, and some of that will be on Patreon. Some of that will be on the main feed. And we'll have special uh, podcast uh, famous guest uh, to help us talk about queer cartoons. So Ooh. look forward to that as well. And I haven't been enjoying your Shelley Long podcast as well. Almost done. It literally, we recorded Irreconcilable Differences. Uh, which is where she plays the mother of Drew Barrymore. And it's about a child emancipating herself from her parents. Mm. It was actually very good. We finally finished it. Uh, we're going on to a more l- lucrative uh, Patreon podcast bonus. So, yeah. I, I uh, really appreciate it. We did a Muppet show uh, for What a Cartoon recently. And I I sourced you on the 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 seven o'clock programming thing. I never heard that history until uh, I heard it on your podcast. And I, I learned quite a lot. I'm glad. I really liked doing that episode. Uh, but it's really cool when like you're just talking about a specific episode of TV and you end up learning something that's like core to your experience of like watching being an American growing up watching TV and not understanding the way things are. Uh, that was that was really fun for me to do too. Thank you so much, Drew. It was always great to have you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me back. So thanks again to Drew Mackey. Please check out Gayest Episode Ever, a great podcast. But as for us. If you want to check out more of what we do and get all these episodes one week at a time and ad free, please go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Sign up for five bucks a month. You get just that, but also access to everything behind the $5 paywall. It includes all of the exclusive podcasts we've made over the past four plus years of the Patreon. That is over 100 bonus episodes. That includes all of our limited miniseries. The most recent one that we did as of this recording is Talking of the Hill Season 2 Part one and as of this uh launch of this podcast we are gearing up to release our fall 2021 miniseries we don't know what it is yet but you probably do and it's either coming soon or the first episode is there waiting for you if not uh i don't know what to tell you but hey we're gonna have a fall 2021 miniseries we're now in july so uh we are far far in advance but yes all the miniseries are behind the paywall at patreon.com slash talking simpsons at the five dollar level but if you sign up for the ten dollar level you get all the five dollar stuff plus also access to one megalong podcast once a month only for patrons of that level or higher and what is that henry well that's the what a cartoon movie podcast that bob is talking about we have a sister podcast what a cartoon where twice a month we cover an animated series super in-depth just like we do with the simpsons and we each month cover an animated feature film in the same style but only for our premium patrons we have covered uh, this last summer we did a Disney Renaissance summer of Hercules, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and The Lion King, all of which everybody super enjoyed. Often over for four hours, we talk about those going scene by scene, just like we do with The Simpsons. I think you'll really enjoy it. If you sign up now, you have three whole years of What a Cartoon movies at your disposal. Over 150 hours of exclusive podcasts, in addition to all of that $5 stuff Bob just mentioned. You got to check that out. Please go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons today to see everything you are missing out on. So as for me, I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo, and my other podcast is Retronauts, a classic gaming podcast about old video games. Find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts. Sign up there for two full-length bonus episodes every month. Henry, how about you? Follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. Anytime you want to know what's going on in the world of Henry Gilbert, follow H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. And also, if you're on Twitter, the official Twitter account of this podcast is at Talk Simpsons Pod. If you follow at Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter, you will stay up to date whenever new stuff is happening in our world. So please follow that on Twitter at Talk Simpsons Pod. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time for Season 12's Hungry, Hungry Homer, and we will see you then. 
Laramie hundreds, please. We both know it could have easily been me. Very easily. Laramie high tars, hard pack, and I don't have all day. Oh, all right, here you go. Smoke them in good health. And will you be needing any lottery tickets with that? No. All right, five. 